I don't think there's anything more spine-chilling in the English language than the words part in one after the title of a Zack Snyder movie. So thanks Netflix, let's talk about Rebel Moon Part 1. Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter, and joining me is David. I come in peace. Not today you don't. No, I don't. I'm here for war, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> I just, a little insight into the recording here. We are recording mm-hmm. this on Christmas Eve. This is how yeah. we are spending Christmas Eve, right? Mm-hmm. We were going to try and move it around or whatever, but David... He was free later in the evening. I was free. He's like, okay, we have to get it in because this has to go out quickly. It's a new release because we're here today to talk about Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire. Yep. I um, I was celebrating Christmas with my family because we have to do both Christmas Eve and Christmas celebrations for different sides of the family. And so I'm at my grandmother's house looking at the clock. I'm like, guys, I got to go talk about Zack Snyder now. I'm sorry, Christmas is over. <laughs> Christmas was over before it began because you knew you had yeah. Zack Snyder to go home to. No, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll obviously we'll get into everything. We'll start spoiler free as we always do. We'll talk about our feelings in the movie, kind of the fact that it is two parts. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll get into spoilers and all that. Uh, before we do start though, I'll just say if you are enjoying the show, please do hit the like button. It helps us out a bunch if you hit the button. And of course, you can support us over at patreon.com slash TV. We do some bonus shows that come out every month. Uh, I'll tell you more about what those are specifically at the end of the show. But if you're interested, go and check it out. So, Rebel Moon, right? Now, I just uh, cards on the table before we start, right? Yeah. Cards mm-hmm. on the table. I don't like Zack Snyder movies. I don't like any of them. I I feel like there was a period, you know, Dawn of the Dead came out, and that was pretty good, all things considered. 300 I was fine with, but then it's just like this kind of slow descent once the DCU started, where I was like, oh, it's just the same thing. That being said, I do, I'm one of the few people who thinks that he actually did a really good job with Watchmen, all things considered. Mm. I actually really enjoy his adaptation there. Well... I'll be bringing that up later, actually. I've got some comparisons of what you make to watch. Mm. But I... Yeah, for, for me... I remember thinking Dawn of the Dead was okay when I saw it as a teenager. And then probably... I don't know. I don't, I don't remember even being in love with 300. I saw that in theaters, and I remember thinking, eh, it's got a bit of a gimmick. But I, I remember not liking how it looked, which I know sounds crazy to some mm. people. But I've never liked the look of Zack Snyder's movies. I think they're ugly. I think they've always been ugly. But I that. Here's the... <laughs> I, I would caution you because when me and Tim went back and did Dawn of the Dead on Streams After Midnight with, you know, fresh eyes and a post, you know, a lot of Zack Snyder's recent movies, it really, like, you could see a lot of his oh, tendencies yeah. in there. And I, I definitely did not enjoy it, enjoy it that much when I went back and That's saw it fair. again. So I, I don't like his movies. I think Sucker Punch is one of the worst things I have ever seen. I've never seen it, so that's probably why I'm not as harsh as you are. <laughs> right? Um, obviously, I don't like his DC movies, and what was the last thing? The Army of the Dead was just... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it wasn't the worst thing he's made. Like, it was it was definitely more palpable, but it, it, yeah, I, I'm getting these cards on the table because Snyder has this cult of fans, and I just, like, I'm just weighing them away, first of all. <laughs> just leave. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you can Look, go. We, did, we did a 
two hour long review of the four hour Snyder cut yes. before like any of these shows were even a thing with me in them. So if you if you want to see us just bitch about Snyder for a while, go watch that and then come back here and watch us bitch some more. <laughs> so needless to say, was not going into this with the highest of expectations. I also wasn't particularly thrilled when I heard it was split into two parts because it wasn't announced that way. And I think having now watched the movie, it does feel like this was one movie that he realized, oh no, I'm way over four hours. I'm going to split it in two, which isn't always a bad... I love Kill Bill. Kill Bill is great. And the studio Mm -hmm. got cold feet with that and said, no, you need to split it in two because it's too long. But I love all of that movie. I I think that movie is phenomenal. This... (laughs) This, I mean, yeah. Well, uh, okay. I, I, I get what you're. I get what you're saying, though, because it does feel like when it was first announced that Netflix basically said, "Hey, give us the same thing that you gave HBO in terms of like the Snyder cut. Give us this huge sprawling epic that we can pimp out right around the holiday season." And then when they finally got it back, they're like, "Oh, but we can make more money if we split it up instead." So. He, we're just going to cut it right here and call that two movies. Yeah, I mean, given how the movie ends, I feel like they're... I'm sure he did a little bit to make it feel more like a cliffhanger in the middle mm-hmm. rather than like a just a... Oh, it's just been chopped in half. Because Kill Bill did that as well. Kill Bill... He did a really good job, actually, in Kill Bill of giving that first movie a really good hook at the end to yeah. make you excited for the second part. So, mm. the basic premise of this... Uh, okay, so... It's com- I was going to say, how do, you, it, how do you want to do it? It's common knowledge that this was a, a Star Wars pitch. Zack Snyder mm-hmm. pitched a Star Wars movie to Disney, and it got rejected, or whatever. I don't know what the exact details are, but as soon as you see the trailer for this movie, you're like, oh yeah, I can tell this was a Star Wars movie that's uh, been given a coat of paint. And even then, yeah. that coat of paint's a bit thin at times. <laughs> but you can tell that, you can easily see how this would fit into Star Wars and how some of these things would, would be... There's definitely a few things that I don't think would have been there if it had been a Star Wars movie. Because obviously yeah. he had more freedom because it was his own thing now. But you can absolutely see the DNA of this was all, was going to be a Star Wars movie. The other thing that I did not know going in... It's Seven Samurai. It's freaking Seven yeah. Samurai. When I realized this movie was going to be about going around collecting the quote-unquote samurai to defend a farming yeah. village, I was like... And I'm not saying you can't do that. Like... There's been many oh, yeah. interpretations. There's been many reimaginings mm-hmm. of Seven Samurai. Magnificent Seven being obviously the most famous one, but A Bug's Life's another. I have no problem with someone doing their take on Seven Samurai. Yeah. I, I actually, it was great because I was, um, as I was watching this through, like, in my head, I recognize it as Seven Samurai. But for some reason, the comparison when I was, like, actually working through my thoughts that kept popping up was, so it's A Bug's Life in space. <laughs> okay. That, that's, I mean, yeah, that, that's where he yeah. gets influence from. He's, he's not seen Seven Samurai, but he's seen A Bug's Life. No. Actually, apparently, um, according to an Entertainment Weekly article I pulled up here, uh, the original, original, original pitch they made way back in, like, film school, because this one's just been bouncing around his head for a while, oh. was um, The Dirty Dozen in space. Okay. So, 
again, same sort of like idea of a bunch of people from different backgrounds all joining up to fight against a thing. Yeah, I haven't seen Dirty Dozen, space. but the fact that this is even a farming village and yeah, like the, the you know, it's not the band, it's, it's the it's the Empire who want their grain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're not called the Empire because it's not Star Wars anymore, but that's what they are. They're the Empire. They are literally the Empire. Yes, even the outfits like sort of harking back to you know Nazi Germany, which was an, a, a choice in Star Wars. They had the the suits that were all wearing kind of feel that militaristic kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and even here, they don't look the same as Star Wars, but you can tell the influence is, is the same. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, anyway, I let's just get the general feelings out of the way so we can start digging into sure. to things. Uh, but, yeah. Ugh. All right. What, 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 how did you feel about Rebelman Part 1? Well, golly gee, Pete, I loved it. Um, no, it's it's... I, I really want to make clear that these thoughts are based off of the fact that I know there's going to be a part two, but I don't know what they're going to do with it. So all I can really do is judge this on part one alone. Like, if this were, as you say, Kill Bill, if this is a movie that is meant to be watched, both parts squished together, and it gives a much more cohesive narrative, that's great. That's fine. I don't have access to that right now. I can't give my thoughts on that. So all of my thoughts are just going to be what I think of part one. And the long and short of it is, this doesn't feel like a complete movie. By the time you get to the end, it feels like they just kind of scrambled to have a third act like thing happen. And then it just suddenly ends in a completely like, who cares kind of way. In terms of the rest of it, before you get to the end, how much I think about the plot and whatnot, Eh, it's 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 not impressive for me and i know that that's kind of not fair to the movie that i have to be impressed with what they're doing but like everything here i've seen before and i've seen so many different ways and so many of them are better than what was done here so yeah basically it's just i feel like Zack snyder went onto the tv tropes website clicked through all the things from Seven Samurai and Star Wars and just threw them into this script, and that's all it was in the end. Yeah, I've got many thoughts to, to get to. Yeah. Ob- obviously, I hated it. I would just get out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> I hated this movie. Um, and it's not because the concepts themselves are bad. Like I say, it's Star Wars and Seven Samurai. What's not to mm-hmm. like conceptually? Other than just the fact that it might feel derivative. And it does. Like, from the first second, yeah. this movie feels so derivative it's 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 just because i just because i just recently watched dune this movie opens up with like the narration talking about Mm. like the princesses and stuff like that and i'm like oh god is he ripping from dune what yeah there's there's not an original bone in the entire thing which isn't necessarily a bad thing i mean hell we we brought up tarantino tarantino's movies are known for him Mm. making love letters to all these random movies that he watched and his youth growing up and loving you know japanese cinema stuff like that but Mm -hmm. he's always like trying to honor them and worship them and and like almost encourage a new audience to appreciate what he loves about those movies there's always like this kind of heart to it this movie is soulless it is unbelievably soulless and i think one of my big things with Zack snyder movies and there was a great video essay on youtube and i forgive me i didn't go check what the name because i don't remember the name but the name of the video mm-hmm. was uh we're, they're already dead or we're already dead it was, it was something to that effect and it was an analysis of Zack Snyder's work 
David's uh, research, and I can tell. Uh, yes, I'm just trying to find the yeah. name of the person who did it. So, it, but the the video was about how the themes in all of Zack Snyder's movies, and specifically the characters in all of Zack Snyder's movies, have this attitude of, well, we're all doomed to die, so the only thing that we can really accomplish is making our death mean something through sacrifice. And all mm. of Zack Snyder's films have sacrifice in them. It's the only thing he always keeps going back to. So I won't get yeah. specific yet because we're not in spoilers, but I promise you there will be sacrifice in this movie. There will be talk of what makes a good death. There'll be talk yeah. of a good place to die. There's a lot of that coming up in this movie. He's just returning to the same chest of regurgitated shit he's been doing since Dawn of the Dead 2004. Because when I went back and watched that, it's the same thing. It's all about mm-hmm. sacrifice. It's all about that's the only way you can have an ending that's worth anything is to sacrifice. Uh, so the name of the video author was Maggie Mayfish. Thank so you. Thank you. Be sure to check that out. Anyway, uh, I agree wholesale. <sighs> I think that it is a recurring. It's this. It was the same thing that was going on during the DCU era. It was this fatalistic viewpoint. This nihilistic, like it's all pretty much for nothing. Why even try? But if you're gonna go out, go out with a bang. <laughs> and it's it's. I get it. I understand there is an audience for that, but like. It's an audience that can easily outgrow that mindset. It's not something that people like grow into. It's things that people grow out oh, of. And I'm I, surprised Snyder hasn't really grown out of it. I think that's something I've said before is that Snyder's movies feel like a bunch of scenes that a 12-year-old boy thinks are cool. And I got that mm-hmm. through this. There's so many action scenes in this where I don't think the I don't think the action scenes are good. I think they're paced very weird and that I not even talk about all the rampant slow motion that is just jizzing all over the screen i'm talking Mm. about just the way it kind of like there's like these weird pauses at moments there's a there's like very little context given to some of the flashback fights where it's just her firing a gun in slow motion and all of it feels like to me where he's like i've just got this idea for a cool visual and there's no Mm. weight there's no like purpose to any of it there is a sequence in this movie where i'm not going to spoil anything but they're the main character of this cora is like interacting for a fraction of a second with this weird space beast and it all goes in slow motion and she like outstretches her hand and touches the beast as it flies by and i'm like who cares like it's a cool visual don't get me wrong but nothing in this character has said anything about why this is like a big moment for them but the movie goes not only into slow-mo but extra slow-mo for this shot and i'm like oh. I, it means nothing besides it looking cool there's several times in this movie particularly in the action scenes where it'll go into slow-mo and then, yes. it'll, then it'll go into double slow-mo it'll go into even slower in the middle of the oh, slow-mo god i told pete i was going because i wanted to for uh snyder cut i told pete i was going to record how much of this movie was in slow motion and find out how much time was wasted in that. But then when it went into double slow motion, I just threw my hands up, because how am I supposed to account for that? There's no way to know. Uh, and to be fair, we're seeing slow-mo and double slow-mo, which implies the first one's only like half speed. I can I don't think it was. I think the, the, the first slow-mo was like maybe quarter speed, maybe even slower than that. Mm-hmm. And then the ultra slow was like... I don't know, one tenth speed. It's like yeah, tenth speed, <laughs> yeah, something like something that. Something silly like that. It's going absurdly slow. 
And there's, oh, there's points where you can even tell, because like, the first, like, as the narrations play at the start, and there's like ships flying around in space, I'm like, mm-hmm. it's space, so it's really hard to tell if they're going in slow motion. I don't know if they're just yeah. moving slow or if they're... <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the opening shot from Star Wars thing, where you got two giant ships zooming through space, but like, you have no sense of how fast they're going, so it kind of just seems like they're slowly moving across the screen. Yes, so his movies still feel like they're just something that a 12-year-old thinks is cool without mm-hmm. any weight behind it. That's still, I, that feeling's still there for me. I still That's all I'm feeling when I watch this. Yeah, and then the other problem I really have for it is it feels like it was built from the top down. It didn't feel like he had a cool idea for like an individual story. It's he wanted to build this universe. He wanted to get like this grand mm. thing that he could tell a bunch of stories in. And he didn't like this story just happened to be the one that popped out first. It didn't feel like the story informed how the universe was built around it. He wanted you know? to do Star Wars and that's what mattered mm-hmm. to him. And then the story was secondary. It wasn't like, he, yeah. yeah, he had a story that he wanted to tell within that. It doesn't feel that way anyway. And I think yeah. just to go back to the whole like the nihilism stuff and the mm-hmm. idea that, you know, nothing matters. So we might as well go out with a bang idea. I think it's also what's really problematic about that is not just that he's done it before and he keeps doing it and it's kind of tiring when all the characters feel like they have that attitude. It's especially a problem in a movie like this. Well, they, the characters actually are in a story where they're occasionally trying to give speeches and they're trying to have heroic moments to try to give hope. And I never felt hope in this movie. And I think one of the things that's missing from this, if you are comparing it to, these two main things we're comparing it to, which is Star Wars and Seven Samurai, is that mm. Star Wars knows how to have lighter moments, moments of levity, moments of heart where you get to like grow and care about characters, where you really attach yourselves to them. And Seven yeah. Samurai, uh, it has that as well. It has, you know, it, it maybe, yeah, they're not household names like Han, Luke, and Leia are, but mm. we, we did Seven Samurai, what, six, seven months ago? So it's quite, it's relatively mm-hmm. fresh in our heads. And that movie has likable characters who have understandable motivations and backstories but on top of that it's clearly telling a story about the society that the movie was talking about at the time which was this idea of the the social divide between the farmers and the samurai and the idea mm-hmm. that divide will always remain and there was there was there was right from the get-go when it was building up characters and it was building the team and this first part this part one of this movie is almost entirely the building the team part of the story yeah. right it, you know you, you don't get the defending the farm that's going to be part two so this it, it draws it out but somehow says less for every single character that joins seven samurai did the we're going to meet everyone in the team in the first hour of that movie and they all had more depth more intriguing ideas of like who they are and why they wanted to join or maybe why they didn't want to join but had to be convinced whatever it was, Mm -hmm. this is a sequence of scenes for the bulk of the movie where we go to a planet, we meet a character, they do something cool to Zack Snyder, right? In slow motion, probably. And then they just decide to join. And some of them, like, are very laxed in terms of, like, how much it takes to get them to to join up to the cause. It's Mm -hmm. it's very... Yeah, so... Like, I'm, I'm fine with an idea of, you know, we're in this world where everyone kind of hates this empire everyone hates this like ruling fascist force i'm okay with it being easy to get people to convince to like fight against them to some extent especially because she's going around picking up like outcasts and stuff like that i'm i'm down with that entire thing 
But the biggest problem comes from once we get them, we don't learn about them. They do nothing. The only person who gets any development at all is our main girl, Korra. She is the only one. And strangely enough, the primary like villain character, the Admiral, he's the other one who gets like stuff to do. You know, David, see when he showed up, I wasn't sure at first if he was the villain. It it wasn't clear to me Mm. with the the menacing English accent or the yeah. Nazi uniform or the way he was walking around giving orders and pretending to be nice. I couldn't tell right away that he was the villain, so um, it no. took, took a while for that to sink in. I'm being facetious if you can't tell, audience. I'm Here's the thing. I don't want to criticize this movie for anything that, like, Star Wars also did sort of thing, where, like, it's, it's weird to me that they all are wearing straight-up Nazi uniforms. Like, the whole way through, it just seems weird that in this alternate universe, Nazi uniforms are the same thing. And also, there's a character at a certain point who wears, like, a dress shirt and a tie for an extended period of time. And that just felt out of place to me, that this guy's going to his 9 to 5 in space. (laughs) But regardless, I don't want to blame it for anything that Star Wars doesn't do, but it just, like you said, feels so soulless it doesn't feel like there was any thought that went into why would this exist in this universe and more of the audience is going to pick up on the visual cue that these are the bad guys if they look like nazis you don't see it at the start of the movie because he's got his hat on but when you see him without his hat his haircut's even very like hitler youth you know it's it's very it's very intentional Every every single one of the villains has like some Roman sounding name, like Balisarius and stuff like that. Mm. So it just gives this idea of like imposing Roman emperor sort of thing. Yeah, and this actually goes back to why I was wanting to bring up Watchmen because I think Watchmen's a perfect example of the point I'm about to make, but it's really mm. true in this movie as well. Is Watchmen? He went to painstaking lens to almost at times go panel by panel and recreate the comic book. But he mm-hmm. did it without actually understanding what the comic book was doing or why it was doing it or what it was saying. So yeah. it feels like a soulless adaptation, right? It feels relatively faithful until you get to the end, obviously. But right. it, it's soulless. He, he clearly didn't transition the idea of, okay, the comic was trying to say this, so how do I do that with a different medium? How do I do that with film? No, he just copies the panels and yeah. hopes for the best. I think a very similar thing could be said about this movie. He's taking from Star Wars. He's taking from Seven Samurai. And I don't think he understands why those movies worked. And I know that seems like an extreme thing to say, because this is a guy who's been given millions and millions of dollars to make movies multiple times. He's clearly successful to a point, right? Yeah. But I don't think he understands them. I don't think he understands why Star Wars worked. I don't think he understands why Seven Samurai worked. I don't think he gets what made them work. He's taking details from them. He's taking ideas from them without Mm -hmm. ever understanding what they were saying or doing or how they fit together or what the movies were actually trying to accomplish by using those ideas. He's just thrown them in because this thing looked cool and that moment was cool. So I'm just going to fill all these cool things together and Frankenstein yeah, a movie out of it. It feels to me less like he like studied Star Wars or studied Seven Samurai and more just went based off of a memory he had of it. He's like, oh yeah, I remember there being like a bar scene where they meet the lovable rogue. Like, we're going to throw that in. But then they don't establish, okay, what makes him a lovable rogue? Why is he a character who has depth and persona and something that we should care about? Instead, he's like, yeah, no, there was a bar scene and then they fly away and they go off and do the thing. That's all it is. And he's just a guy from the planet Ireland. That's it. 
He is. It's, and there was a lot of like Irish, Scottish, English accents in this the whole way through. I don't think I noticed any Scottish accents, but uh, I I feel like there was one character, but I can't remember who it is now. Yeah. Oh god, maybe I'll, maybe it'll spark. There was definitely a couple Irish. Kind of the main villain. I think he no, no was. Did he have an Irish accent? No, no, he had English. Who was the other Irish? Because mm-hmm. obviously the main Irish accent was was Charlie Hunnam, who we're talking about yes. now. Uh, but there was another one that I'm trying to remember. Oh, it doesn't matter. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so the other thing I want to bring up, and this, this is a serious thing to, to bring up, is that mm-hmm. he's also increasingly, and he's not had this in all of his movies, obviously the superhero movies weren't going to let him do this, but one of the shortcuts that movies used to use in the 80s to establish a villain was have the threat of sexual assault. And this is something that Snyder has yeah. done more throughout his career, and I felt like here I almost just... like. It happens so abruptly and quickly. There's no build to it. There's just, like, I'll just say it. The stormtroopers, if you want to call them that in this, mm-hmm. are a bunch of rapists, right? They, yep. they, they just are, right? And th- that threat's there very quickly. And it just feels like some edgy teenage asshole saying, no, no, this is this is the R-rated version of Star Wars where they're, 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 all, they're all rapists. Like, what is this serving? It's serving mm-hmm. very little. And, and it, because it's so shallow, it makes all this feel really more poor taste than it otherwise would be if it was given time to be a serious threat where it was more about because typically if you're going to introduce that threat it's because it should be a main theme of the movie it should be something that yeah. is important about what you're it trying to say be set dressing it shouldn't be yeah. like a little character bit so that, that that bothered me and that's quite early on um and it's not the last time there's a weird sex thing in the movie either there's like someone tries to like buy someone as a whore at one oh, point yeah. randomly at the bar. So weird. Yeah. So it's I, I yeah, it's Zack Snyder has some sort of complicated relationship with sex. I like I don't know exactly what it is, but like it's it's simultaneously like really juvenile but also uncomfortably adult. Like it's beyond the point where it's like, oh, we're making these dark edgy sort of scenes about it but it's also like when you were saying someone was buying someone that scene's almost played as like a comedy bit yeah i think it's meant to be funny else. yeah yeah and it's like is it honestly it's a sequence that's between two guys and it more so feels like it's funny because it's gay like again it goes back to that juvenile thing that's what he's aiming for here and i i, um, I think there's also a problem where and I, i'm not really blaming the actors here but I think a lot of the characters really fall flat, partly because they don't really have mm. much death. But even the lead, it's like Sophia Batella, I've enjoyed when she was in Kingsman. She, she's popped mm-hmm. up in a few things here or there that, that I've liked. She's also been in some bad stuff. The Mummy 2017 we don't talk about. But yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I just found her character devoid of charisma. And I don't think it's her fault. I think the character is just so underwritten. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that based off of what her character has described in this movie, because we do get some backstory as to like her early life, but there is a period in the middle that we're still currently missing um, between what we saw and then where her movie, where this movie picked up from. I feel like that's a director thing. I feel like she's been instructed to be like, look, you are tortured by your past and you're very isolated and you don't like to be friends with anybody. So when she plays acting that, She's essentially just going to be a charisma void. She's just going yeah. to be a standoffish person. But then that's applied to every single character except for like two, maybe. Yeah, and as far as the Star Wars comparisons go, as we mentioned, there's a scene where they go to a bar and the, the, the you know the, the little dust, dusty sand town and get the mm-hmm. rebel. 
There's also a droid that's meant to be lovable. <laughs> I hate that droid scene so much because of the promise that it failed to keep. Well, you mean the fact that it introduced a thing that you thought was going to be a main character and then he disappears for the rest of the movie? <laughs> no, he disappears for the rest of the movie and then appears in the very last shot. That's what gets me. It's like, no, no, see, guys, he's here. He's standing. He's right there. You, did you did you like his story? Did you like the things he did? Screw you, man. <laughs> yeah, and I thought the movie, like, obviously it's a big budget movie, but the effects were really hit and miss for me. I think the droid looked mm. good. I think there was ships that looked perfectly fine and solid for, yeah. for what, what, what they are. But there was some scenes, there's a scenes where in the first leave of the farm and they're camping and they're on like a kind of a ridge and there's like this backdrop behind them. It mm. was some of the worst looking, like, disconnected background from the the actual set they're sitting on and stuff like the green screen just looked really phony and really stick out to me yeah yeah i get it it's, there's something about the way that space is in this movie where it feels like everything is really close together i don't feel like Zack snyder does a good job of capturing how much the vast emptiness of space really is empty it feels like when the, like, for instance, the, a big part of this movie is they're going around picking up people uh, for this task that they've got. And it feels more like they're like just kind of jumping like two hours away each time. Mm. It doesn't feel like it's this like they're going to have to travel an entire light year or so in order to get there, even with like light speed drives, which I don't think they even mentioned they have. But I'm assuming they have to to some extent. Um, I don't think it matters. I, I think this yeah. is just like I, I know Star Wars says they've got obviously the hyperdrive or whatever, but mm-hmm. I feel like in this they're just like I don't know. This is just this is an alternate universe. Planets are close together. <laughs> just well, in fairness, the very first shot of this movie as the narration is still going on is literally a like tear open in space. True, true. That yeah, yeah is true. just straight up a sex thing, like. <laughs> You noticed this, right? I mean, the ship. The like, ship is a lot. Actually, honestly, the ship made me think of the Sulaco from Aliens. It was because it was vaguely shaped okay. like a gun, and I, I, it reminded me of the Sulaco. From well, I'm Aliens. not even talking about the ship. The the tail yeah, through I, I know, space is the vertical slit, and then it like parts open, and the space like bunches up around it. And it's like, huh, that's uh, that's something there, Zach. And then the ship starts pushing through it. And I'm like, hey, Zach, what are you doing? <sighs> yes. Um. So, yeah, there was, there was a bunch of scenes. There was a scene on a planet where they're talking to, like, uh, a CG guy and there's, like, an army and stuff. I don't want to get into specifics because, you know, it's, it's late on. Um, oh, I know who yeah. you're talking about. Okay. But that that, yeah. that location, I thought, looked quite bad because it was just this big, vast, empty space around them. So it just had this natural... Mm. You know, obviously, they extended it with CG or whatever, and it just looked kind of fake. And Yeah, I. you know what was great about, like, the original star wars movies and honestly all the movies in the star wars series have pretty much done this it's that each movie has like two or three planets max that they go to but each of them is very clearly identifiable by like the individual scene we have tatooine in Mos Eisley is desert planet you got hoth is ice planet you got dagobah is swamp planet like all of them super identifiable just by their singular locations I could not tell you the gist of like any of the planets they landed on. All of them seem to be the vague sort of like mostly grassland, a little bit of desert, or it's a bustling city. It's one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I, 
And it doesn't help that Zack Snyder's visual style is to have this sort of slightly desaturated look to everything. Mm. So everything just feels a little bit dour looking. And it's part of why I, I don't like how his movies look. It's, it's that, yeah. and then he he goes so over the top with um, depth of field. And I love depth of field. It's a fantastic tool in your filmmaking you know, uh, toolbox. <laughs> But he goes so far with it to the point where I'm actually not convinced sometimes if he's doing it naturally or if he's like artificially blurring things more in post. Like it feels like he's over processing the image and it yeah. has that kind of look to it that it just feels unnatural. Uh, and sometimes it even has the effect where stuff that I don't think would have been green screened almost looks green screened because he's made the background so separate to, mm. to the subject on the frame that it feels green screened, even though I don't think it may would have been necessarily, and that's a, that's a problem. Like it just it, it gives. I I, I just, mm, yeah, not not a fan. <laughs> I'm just no. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I I no. When I say I think Watchmen is like still a, like a decent thing, a it's not comparing it to the original book. I think it's just a okay movie on its own. But b yeah no visually it looks like trash most of the time because mm. of that desaturated sort of feel to it. And this is no exception. While there are some sequences i i feel like zack snyder has two modes there's general filmmaking mode where he's telling the story or whatever and then there's i want this poster mode <laughs> where all of a sudden he'll just stop for a cool visual and he's all like the colors pop there and everything's like wow look at this doesn't it look cool don't you want this as a poster yeah yeah i mean i know some people like how his movies look but have the same complaints that we otherwise do about everything else and mm. I think those people would love the idea of Snyder directing something that someone else, you know... Like wrote, wrote yeah. yeah. You know, so it's someone else's storytelling capabilities, but then he takes it and turns it into a visual thing. Um, I, I still don't think I'd like how it would look, but that probably would make for a better movie. I, I don't think he mm-hmm. knows... I, I, don't, I don't like his characters. I just I never have. And I, I think that's just as true now. It's more true than it ever has been uh, yeah. with this one. So... <sighs> Is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we get to spoilers? Uh, uh, just to remind people before we get into spoilers, I do have homework that I do on every episode. Ah, and yes, even yes. though it's Christmas, that is no exception. The homework is due. <laughs> yes, uh, Car- uh, Connor. David will talk about <laughs> a sci-fi movie that me and Tara did before his time on the show at the end. Uh, so stick around for that. Yeah. <laughs> um beyond that no i can't i mean everything else it's it's I, I i think the one thing i didn't really mention uh you brought up very briefly is the individual actors mm-hmm. i don't think there's anybody that delivers a truly like bad performance but i do think that a lot of the actors in this aren't given enough to deliver anything but like all right i guess you were there like barely anybody standing out to me post movie. Yeah, I think it's a direction problem for sure. Um, I do think the villain is really true in the scenery, and I, I do. And again, I think it's a, a director choice. I think he's telling them to to go over the oh, top yeah. and hammer up and and whatnot. So mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, all right, spoilers then for Rebelman Part One. You have been warned. Yeah, actually, this isn't really a spoiler. I guess I'm immediately talking about something I could have just said before. But, uh, yeah, whatever. Child of Fire sounds like a really bad fantasy book, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, that's. Uh, I, the second one's called The Scar Giver. And by the end of this movie, we find out what Scar Giver, or at least who the Scar Giver is in regards to this. But, like, 
I by the end of this movie, I'm not sure who the child of fire was. I'm not. I think it's just who uh, Cora. I think it's just the main. You character. would think so, but then by the end of the movie, she's also the scar giver. So is she just? Is that like an evolutionary thing? It was just oh, first she was the child of fire, and now she is the scar giver. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. it doesn't feel like it's earned on either side. Like it doesn't feel like she's specifically the child of fire or the scar giver by the end. But that's what we're told that she is. Yeah, one of the other comparisons to Star Wars actually is that whoever's in charge of this empire, and don't mm. ask me what they call the empire in this because I could not tell you. I I actually have it's the Mother World. Ah, yeah, they do say that mm. a lot. Now you're mentioning that. Yep. Um, but uh, they do that thing where we're following this guy who's been sent. Right, the main villain of the movie is Atticus Noble. Right, mm-hmm. <laughs> Noble. He is the one that's been sent out with a big ship and an army to sort of find the rebellion and squash it. That's his, his thing. And it does the same th- sort of thing as Star Wars, where in the first movie, you're following Darth Vader. He's not the guy in charge. He's just a sort of the... He's always high-ranking, but he's the one that's been sent out to deal with mm-hmm. everything, right? And you don't even get a taste of the Emperor until the second movie, and you don't even see him in person until the third one. They kind of do the same mm-hmm. thing here, where halfway through the movie, I realize, wait, who's even in charge of all this thing? Like, they mentioned like someone like took over after the king was killed of this empire yeah. but they didn't really like elaborate too much and we've not really seen him we do see him at the end and i'll be honest they made him look so much like the king in the flashbacks that i was thinking wait is, is, is it really the same guy who just faked his death yeah but there's different actors listed here so i don't think it is i, mm-hmm. I think it is I think it is different characters but they gave him the exact same type of beard which did not help me like no, not process the information I mean, the only reason I got it is that the old king before, because there's an old king and then the militaristic people took over. Um, even though the old king was kind of militaristic himself, which was very confusing, but the uh, old king was pay- played by Carrie Elways. So he, even with the big beard, I was just like, hey there, that's the Dread Pirate Roberts. I recognize him. Is that Princess Bride? It is a Princess Bride. Okay. I don't want from Saw. I know. I know. <laughs> yes. But I didn't remember his name in Saw, so I went with Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah. I don't think he's a very good actor, to be honest. I think every everything I see him in, he feels I always feel like he's chewing the scenery a little bit. Yes, but I think that's kind of what we're going for here. Like he's supposed to be this big charismatic leader. I feel like that's what's needed yeah. for that. I'm not expecting a small dramatic role here. I'm expecting a Zack Snyder. Bit. Oh, but I'm saying he's like that in every role I've seen him in. So yeah, I, I, yeah, that's I, fair. I've never, I've always felt like he gives that kind of performance. But anyway, mm-hmm. so we start off on on the Velt. Velt, yeah, the the, the moon mm-hmm. that will become Rebel Moon, I guess. I uh, I love the opening because first things first, we have this opening monologue of like the ship arriving in space, and it's just basically describing how did we get here what's been going on yeah. and they say like correct me if i'm wrong but there was mm-hmm. an empire and then the royal family was you know killed or thrown out of power and then an yeah. evil emperor took over you know a politician mm-hmm. uh, and now they run the, the um, you know the galaxy with an iron fist kind of thing isn't that also just kind of the backstory of star wars <laughs> Once the prequel trilogy yeah. is introduced, yes, absolutely. Because Leah was part of that real family, and then yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Palpatine came in and was like, "Aha, Palpatine's behind it all," kind of thing. <laughs> Who else but Palpatine? Uh, 
Um, but yeah, no, the, the backstory we're given is that there was a king who was pretty, like, militaristic. It's been centuries of, like, war and conquest and stuff. But then the king has a daughter and he kind of mellows out. And it seems yeah. like for the first time there's going to be peace. And then during the princess's coronation, the entire royal family is assassinated. So then this new guy named Belisarius, who's a senator, takes charge, goes full fascist military, and we are at now. Yeah, he, he was veering towards being... I mean, he was probably already nicer than this guy is, but he was veering towards mm. more of, oh, let's try and have a peaceful galaxy yeah. to, to and He's whatnot. He's like, well, I mean, we rule everything. Maybe we just chill. Yeah. Let's try that. Also, the princess had magic powers and she brought a dead bird back to life. Oh, God, we'll get to that. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was the whole scene. I don't, I don't, yeah, it was. I don't know like, what we're going to it, add to it when we get there, but okay. It, it, I, it falls in more with Cora's backstory sure, because sure. that pissed me off. Yeah, it's, it, it, it represents her. It's the Flight of the mm. Phoenix that is Cora. She's going to be yeah. reborn as a... Scargiver. As <laughs> a Scargiver. So, yeah, she's on, on the moon. She's a farmer with all these other farmers. And there's, I, I think the first slow motion shot I caught was her running her fingers through the dirt and, like, sniffing mm-hmm. the dirt and being like, ah, Earth. I guess it's technically not Earth because we're not on Earth. But you know what I mean? Like, ah, dark, beautiful soil. <laughs> Nothing I need to worry about. When she was running her fingers through it, I had um, gladiator flashbacks. <laughs> that scene there's, with, like, the there's some more gladiator parallels later, yes, which we're going to talk absolutely. about. Absolutely. <laughs> that one got me. Oh. Um, but yeah, no, she, she's, we see Cora and she, we're introduced to this like man who is taking her in and through their dialogue, you get the fact that Cora just like showed up one day kind of recently. They, she never like told anyone her backstory, but she's I, just been working here on this farm planet. For crash landed specifically. They mentioned, he mentions mm-hmm. like finding her in a wreckage and taking her in. So yeah. Yeah. So presumably she was just in like an action scene shortly before she arrived here. I, I am positive we will see that in the second part. I, I, I am too. I can't wait. <laughs> can't wait for that. But, you know, we get, you know, there's a, a bald guy who runs this village and he seems like a peaceful dude and they're all, they're mm-hmm. growing their grain. They're all quite happy about it. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah. Quite quickly, the giant ship appears in the upper atmosphere and they're all freaking out. Uh, Cora especially, because she knows who this is and what it means and what they're like. She, well, it's a trailer line. Like, I remember this from the trailer, but they're all looking up at the ship and they come to Korra and one of them is just like, what do you think they want? And she turns to them and says, everything. And I'm like, wow, that was corny as hell. But then fast forward five minutes, they specifically ask the military dude, like, well, I don't understand. What do you want? And he's like, everything. And I'm like, oh, you doubled down on the stupid line. Okay, cool. Yeah, they have a bit of a debate before the bad guys land, and so another main character of interest here is Gunner, who mm-hmm. who has a bit of a redemption thing going because he kind of messes up here ultimately in this opening yeah, he, chunk. He's like the bald guy's in charge of like everything in this farming village. Whereas everything. Gunner, whereas Gunner is uh, the one in charge of like specifically keeping like how much crop is left and making sure that there's enough to feed everybody and stuff like that. He's kind of like a seed accountant, I guess you would call him. He's also a coward. He's also a absolute coward. And that's his arc. Yeah, he he's like, hey, this maybe isn't so bad. They've got deep pockets. They can buy our surplus and we can 
be very wealthy. And mm. they point out that he, a year ago, sold to some of the resistance. So if they find that out, they're going to want his head. So, uh, mm. But basically, the bald guy, partly from Korra's advice, is like, no, no, we deny how good this land is, how fertile it is, because they'll just want everything. We'll just we'll withhold as much as we can. We'll be nice and hopefully send them on their way. But obviously, it's a movie. Things have to happen to get everything oh, going. Yeah. So, yes, we have... You know, the dude comes down in his Nazi uniform. This is noble. He's got, like, three people in, like, these red robes with these big creepy masks on, <laughs> like, in hats. Oh, my God, I forgot about them. Yeah. 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 The, the, I, it was... I for, almost forgot about them. I forgot about the old guy who you brought up already that was, like, living with Korra. I, like, mm-hmm. The father figure type dude. I was like, oh, yeah, he was a thing at the start of the movie. Because cause yeah. once they leave the planet, you don't see any of these characters again. So they all just kind of right. fade from the memory. I, honestly that's what goes back to what i started with of i feel like if you watch this whole thing part one part two together obviously these people are going to come back because they're back at the village by the end but like as for this movie they are worthless because we never see them again yep uh so i just to skip to the end of this conversation where the, the bad guys pretend to be nice and the yeah. bald guys pretend you're saying oh we don't really have enough to give you too much because you know we we, we just you know feed ourselves we don't make much more than that blah 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 mm. uh, but then gunner jumps in and says well i think her leader's been a bit cautious you know we do have some that we could we could sell you know not much he, and he does like he isn't sell the leader out he tries to do it as sort of diplomatically as he can he, he sort of tries mm. to phrase it in a way that doesn't throw him under the bus but of course, Noble being a evil Nazi dictator <laughs> type dude, uh, then kills the bald guy in front of everyone to make an example out of him and his wife when she runs towards mm-hmm. him as well, and says, "All right, we'll be back in ten weeks." Because because he, he, he asks, "Hey, how long? Will, when's your harvest going to be ready?" He's like, uh, uh, nine weeks, I think." He's like, mm-hmm. "We're back in ten. Make sure you've got all of it ready for us to take." And I'm like, so this is and this is the point where I went, oh, this is just Seven Samurai. We've got 10 weeks to mount a defense. So you say that, but the first thing that pops into my mind, so then Flick, the outcast ant, then has to go to the <laughs> circus and find the other bugs. I only saw Bugs Life once. The, my memory of it is pretty vague. I don't remember the names or anything like that. Ah, that's fair. I, I think that was one that was played on repeat when I was a kid, because even if I didn't know it was Seven Samurai at the time, all the names are still there for me. Oh, sure. Um... So this sets up, they leave, but they leave like a a troop of, I'm just going to call them stormtroopers, because that's, that's, yeah, that's what they are. pretty much. Right, they're a bunch of soldiers. And this was where, okay, the main guy, Noble, is chewing scenery, he's overtly the villain the second you see him, and he's clearly going for a lot of villain tropes with him. But what got me is that these stormtroopers that are left behind, all on the one guy who seems like he might be okay, because he, he looked nice at someone, right? <laughs> but... We're introduced to the leader of the, this little group of stormtroopers and like, the the second in command, I'll call him. And mm. immediately, they are just the most evil scum. They're, they're t- calling the people who live here peasants. They're demanding water. He's being rude. And of course, the thing that we're getting to here is that there's this young woman who's part of the village who's you know, maybe a teenager mm. or early 20s, but she's in that kind of range. And she comes up and gives him some water and he's making eyes at her. And you're like, okay, this guy is so out of a Zack Snyder movie. Because even Army of the Dead had a character who was kind of predatory, yeah. right? And I'm like, okay, we're getting that from this second-in-command guy. And I thought his boss was going to like grill him out and tell him not to. I still thought the guy was going to try something, but I thought his boss was going to be, like 
tell him not to. Like, no, no, mm-hmm. we're going to keep it professional. We're, we're, this is what we do. And the very next thing that comes out of the boss's mouth is, oh, she's how I like them. Young enough, but feisty enough to fight back. And I'm like, really? We're just doing this. And what this builds up to, like, later that night, is when they see mm-hmm. her again, everyone except the one good stormtrooper who tries to protect her, all of mm-hmm. them want to gang rape her. That is the yep. scene. Mm-hmm. That is what they try and do. Yeah, and like that's before this, Cora does a whole thing where she's like, "All right, if they're going to be on this planet, I'm not." She tries to run, and it's only when she hears this girl's screams for help that she's like, "No, we have to fight. We have to defend." <sighs> I, I, this is one of the things that I thought did a poor job, and like I feel like I've seen a lot of movies where they do the oh this this character we're watching has a secret past where they're a badass, right? You know, we've seen it in John Wick, we've seen it in you know fifty hundred movies. You've probably seen it in. And yeah. I just, I just never got the vibe from this that there were like she all the way she, and I, and this might be on like the direction from from Snyder to her, but I never got the vibe mm-hmm. from her in all those moments before. I just got that she was scared. I never really got that she was like being a reluctant to step up and fight kind of character. So oh yeah, when, when that happened, well, I was like, oh, I guess she's one of those characters, but I. I never really got that until this moment where she's hearing this girl in trouble and I was like, oh, I guess she's going to be a badass now. But I never really got that from before that scene. So I feel like they were trying to mix together the characters of Luke and Obi-Wan, where Luke obviously is, you know, the Mm. farmhand or whatever. But then Obi-Wan's the one who has this deep, dark history and actually knows how to fight and whatnot. And in some ways that works, but in this way, it just makes it, a little bit confusing in this opening sequence because we don't have any of her backstory yet. So when all of a sudden she just flips around and says like, no, I have to fight. You got to wait like another 30 minutes before you figure out like, oh, right. She has training and like, there's a reason that she would want to run in the first place and then do this. Like it's, it's not well enough set up in that first 20, 30 yeah, minutes. It's just simple little like teases of like, maybe when the first bad guys are there, like, have her look like she's looking and like counting bodies, like she's like scanning the room for the exits and like how many people mm-hmm. are there. As if, is it you know? And you can sort of see it in her eyes that oh, she's casing them out in case she has to fight, and that will maybe tell us she knows what to do. And this situation, she doesn't want to. She's hoping it doesn't come to that, but maybe we can see that she is sort of preparing mentally for possibly having a fight. But instead, then, it never feels like that. Yeah, or even then, uh, just after they make the decision to fight, Cora's given back her gun that apparently she lost when she crash-landed and the old guy picked up and hid from her. When she's planning on running, have the old guy pull it out and be like, all right, fine, here you go. If you're going to leave, you need to defend yourself. And then that way we know she had a gun. She has training. She has a reason to fight. Yeah. Um, So before we move on too far, because the, the sexual assault scene happens at this point, but there's two things that I think need some talking about for just how horrible they are treated in this movie. The first off is the private character, but one good stormtrooper who decides mm-hmm. to do right. And that is because he is shown to be compassionate towards this robot. Who's the other thing we need to talk about? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to go back and talk about him. Don't worry. I wasn't. Yeah. Um, he's shown to be compassionate to this robot. When they start harassing the girl he steps up and tells him, like, whatever. And he's the only one who's talking back against the, like, second-in-command guy who's also horrible. So, all in all, he's built up to be this character who theoretically could be turned towards, like, the resistance side. He's someone who is sympathetic towards empathy. And then he's gone. (laughs) He just disappears from this movie. 
He has, he's there trying to stop the sexual assault, and then he just disappears entirely. Oh, and be, they never say what he does. To be fair, he's just to be gone. fair, he does not die. So I am presuming he will still be at the village in part two. I mean, because like, the way you're right. saying it sounds like he dies in the fight. He doesn't. He survives. No, no, no. He he will still be there in part two. Right, but like, there's they specifically make the point of saying like, okay, we killed all the other soldiers during this scene. There's nobody here currently like left to watch us. But then that kid's still there. They never show how do we deal with this remaining kid who might still have an allegiance towards his superior officers. Well, that, 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 none of that. That's your mistake, though. Like this movie isn't entertaining, entertaining that question because, as far as the movie's concerned, as soon as he stuck up for her. He's on the side of the farmers, and the farmers seemingly aren't going to even doubt that. I mean, you're right, but that just seems like such a simplistic moral flip that, like, I, I'm not defending it, but I'm saying yeah. that's how the movie just sort of portrays yeah, it. Like at the end right. of this fight, you're when right. he's standing tall with with Cora and the others who were on the good side, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh no, he's just with them now, and that's it. There's no more depth to it. There's no but more. Then that means I would want him to be on like the recon team. I would want him with Cora for the rest of this movie if he wants to stand up against the empire like that the mother world but he's not he's just gone i mean maybe if you had this i know that i'm suggesting having a longer runtime here but maybe if you had like a subplot where you're cutting back to the village and he's like trying to help them like prepare maybe he's getting to know the girl yeah. that he was protecting you know something where he's he's, get, he's getting to know them and or, you know something i don't know yeah, uh, yeah. anyway i don't want to spend any more time because the movie doesn't anyway so the other thing is the robot which do you want to take the robot so the robot, they open up the robot and it's mentioned quickly that, oh, there's not a lot of these things left. And it turns out that these robots were military robots that were serving the king, right? Mm-hmm. And when the king was slain, all the robots just, they didn't shut down. They're still active. They're still talking. They're still doing stuff. But they just refused to fight or harm anyone anymore. It's like, okay, the king's not there, so we're not going to be soldiers anymore. So a lot of these stormtroopers mock him they throw things at him. The the second in command guy shoots at him a bunch of times, uh, just for kicks to try and motivate mm-hmm. an attack out of him. Um, and then the robot after this scene has a moment with the girl where the girl is nice to him and like gives him like a little headdress thing. She puts a little like uh, little like daisy chain of yeah. flowers around his head. And he talks about how oh the princess was kind and she reminds him of that kindness or something to that effect. Right, and I, I love there's a sequence where the little girl like kisses him on the cheek, and then because he has like these LEDs on his face, the robot blushes. Yes, the they, the, the light, the little circles across his face all light up gradually going across, as if yeah. oh, the warmth of the kiss, the love of the kiss, is spread across his face. And okay, fine. Like the idea of doing like history of violence with an android is a, mm-hmm. is a, on paper. I like that concept. And yeah. what happens here is that when Cora starts defending the girl when she's been attacked by the men and mm-hmm. we get the absurd slow motion and all the rest of it, part of this fight is that the robot hears the fight, comes over, sees one of the, the laser machine guns that have been dropped by the soldiers and picks it up and sort of ends the fight by like doing like a kill shot on the main, like the leader of the stormtroopers. is. He's, by this point, he's holding the girl hostage and he just, mm-hmm. you know, pinpoint accuracy, just shoots them in the head and that's it, it's over. So it's like, oh, in the space of 10 minutes, we've learned that he gave up fighting, will not harm or mm-hmm. kill anything ever since his kings died. And in the space of 10 minutes, he's already over that. 
And don't get me wrong, the reason why he's done it makes sense in a sort of grand sense. It's just yep. too soon. <laughs> it's just too quick to, for it to have I mean, wait. I'm even okay with it happening here. But the problem being is that it doesn't do anything with it here. Like I said, this is the le- he drops the gun. For some reason, he looks like he's like ashamed that he did that. And he runs off. And we don't see him again for another hour and 30 minutes. And he's just, nothing is done with his story. And it, that's what made me think that this is a thing where Snyder designed this universe from the top down. And he's like, oh, okay, what if we had a thing of robots who used to be like killbots, but now they don't kill anymore. But then one of them kills again. And he's got like a story that he's planning four movies down where he's going to explore that. But it's not this one. It's not the first story he wants to tell. But because he's built this universe first, it has to be set up. It has to be here now so that we're waiting for it later. I don't I don't want to defend anything. But I will okay. say I expect it. I will criticize him happily, mm-hmm. <laughs> if not. But I expect the robot to have some kind of follow-up in part two. Well, I, I would hope so. I'm not going to say a payoff because I don't trust Snyder to actually pay things <laughs> off. But I do expect that he's at least set him up here for a reason that's relevant to this story. And make no mistake, this story is like this and the next movie. This was clearly one story split in half. So right. we, we can... Yeah. So there's also... I wonder how long the second part is and I wonder if... Because, I mean, he, Snyder, as soon as he saw the Rotten Tomatoes score, Snyder started saying, oh, the director's cut's going to be so different and it's almost like a different universe. Uh, and I'm like, well, I'm not watching the director's cut. You get, you're getting the original cuts out of me. And that's it. That's all we're doing yeah. on the show. That's all that's happening. So That's fair. Anyway, so this... This scene, you know, it just... It all felt like the edgy Star Wars where we have to have them be these horrible, edgy villains who are doing the most despicable thing possible as a shortcut mm-hmm. to, to get to the fact that they're villains and just represent the world as being so dour. We can't have any moments of happiness or any moments of like feeling of success that they've saved the day. And it's like, okay, we have to worry about the retaliation and the, the, the bad guys coming back, but maybe we should celebrate a bit of a victory here. But we can't do that. Everything has to be so dour and whatnot. Yeah. The action scene itself, this was one of the first... Obviously, this is the first action scene in the movie. It really... And this was even before the slow motion kicked in. There was this weird, like, pacing to the choreography where it felt mm-hmm. like every time, like, Cora did a spin or something, she did these little pauses before she would try and fire the laser gun. And I didn't understand why. And it felt really weird. <laughs> yeah. I I get what you're saying. I know exactly what you mean. There's this... It, it feels more like a dance, not in the sense of like, oh, you know, one person moves and the other person responds. It's more of like a, the best way I could describe it is like a line dance where like everyone's just like, we know the beats and we're more just waiting for the next beat to do the yeah. next move rather than letting the moves flow freely into each other. Yeah. It's just, it's a, it's, it's, it's a bad choreograph fight scene because mm-hmm. it just, it, you can sort of see the wires behind like them. Yeah. Like you say, waiting for the next move or, or whatever it mm-hmm. is. So one of the strange things for me though, is with how, especially with like Watchmen and 300 in mind, Snyder is remarkably reserved when it comes to blood in this movie. That's not to say there's not any, and not even some like gruesome fights, but like 
everything being done with lasers makes it so that everything is like automatically cauterized. And so mm. you'll get holes in people, but there's no blood for most of any of it. Yeah. And of course, those laser swords. Of course there is. There's a laser sword in like the first like five minutes. Like they show one character getting knocked down with it. And it's like, oh, all right, here yeah. we go. Obviously, they don't look exactly like lightsabers. They look, you can kind of see that there's a an actual metal blade, but it's like a laser mm-hmm. kind of surrounding it kind of thing. Yeah, it's like it, it's like energy is sent around the blade to make it extra hittable or whatever. Yeah, can I just say, if, if I had a failed Star Wars pitch and I wanted to repurpose it into an original thing, I think the first mm-hmm. thing I would take out, because it's super recognizable at Star Wars, is a laser sword. Oh, but Pete, he already wrote a character whose entire thing is using swords, and do you think he's going to throw away that? <laughs> oh, dear. So, they discuss what to do, and she, now, now she's got her gun back, she's got her holster, she, she's mm. like being, get, basically getting this idea of a mission of, like, can we mount any kind of defense? We've got ten weeks. And Gunner, the guy who feels guilty because him speaking up got the leader killed, he might have connections with because he sold some grain to the resistance he might be able to like reach out to the resistance so that him and core are going to go off and try and contact them and maybe the resistance this army led by the siblings devra and and ray fisher and, and well yeah but I, I don't know if you ever get his first name but it's devra blood axe they're the blood axes uh... Yeah, we do get the name. I'm just trying to find where Ray Fisher is in this cast list. There, oh no, it is just Blood Axe. Oh, I guess he doesn't get a first. Yeah, name. and IMDb just says Blood Axe. It doesn't say which yeah, first name right. is. Guess he's just Blood Axe. I'm alright with that. Yes, but uh, yes, Cleopatra Coleman plays Devra. Uh, mm-hmm. We saw her recently in Infinity Pool. So there's a. Oh, that's right. She was there. Yeah, she looked familiar. Also, we never even mentioned the robots voiced by Anthony Hopkins, which, to be honest, was very distracting. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> I was all right with it. It seems like it fit the sort of kind-hearted thing they were going. Like, he sounded like just an older guy. But there were certain points where the Anthony Hopkins really leaked through, and I'm just like, oh, he's going to eat your face, kid. You better run. (laughs) So that's the mission. And they go on their their CG weird-headed horses uh, off Mm -hmm. to try and find the town. uh, You know, Mos Eisley. Mos Eisley, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And they get there... And this is where, like, some random alien dude thinks that Gunner's owned by Korra and he wants to buy him as a sex slave. Mm-hmm. And they just try to tell him to get lost. And he straight up grabs Gunner's crotch at one point and says, you'll be begging for more in the morning. And I'm like, Zach, what are you doing? What is yeah. this scene? I don't... <laughs> what is this? Like, I get it from the viewpoint of, like, okay, so we want to set this place as seedy and uncomfortable. Great. I get it. That's a good way to do that. But they don't just leave it alone. They don't just make it a thing where it's like, oh, he tell he same thing in the Moss Eisley Cantina, cut off the guy's arm and then they just leave. And then they're gone. They're away from the movie. But Zach's like, no, 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 no. We've set up a character who's very bad. Therefore, we must have an action scene with him. Yeah, so they have a fight in the bar. And this is where Charlie Hunnam was already there. They kind of tease him with a hood up uh, at the mm-hmm. start of the scene. But he's there. He ends up helping them, and honestly, just to sort of, you know, put the cards on the table for where his character ends up, I was actually kind of relieved that it turned out he was just betraying them, because every sort of decision he makes, including joining up with them at the start, felt so unearned that 
it actually was a relief that he was just trying to double cross them because the empire yeah. would pay him for turning them all in because his, his reasons for joining up at the start just felt disingenuous um later on when he's like hey yeah you know what i'm going to join the fight i'm going to go back to the moon with you and fight with everyone else i'm like i don't buy this arc like why, why you do it so at least that wasn't true so I, mm-hmm. I can give it that there's a reason why it fell off but yeah i mean i liked it more than if they would have played it straight but even as this big reveal at the end was happening of him double crossing them i kept waiting for it to be a triple cross yeah like i kept I waiting mean. for it yeah. to be like oh yeah no this is just us being able to really get the one up on the empire because now we've got their heads here and we're going to be able to get them and i'm just like please don't do that i'm so sick of this it turns out irish han solo is just a prick he's not yeah, he's turns not, out he's just genuinely bad yeah he's not a lovable rogue like uh yeah. han is uh also so casting no, charlie hunnam in a role that is going to naturally make me compare him to harrison ford is not not a good idea no, definitely not. <laughs> not a good idea um so there, the one thing that happens in this sequence, though, is that when they go to the bar, the whole reason is to try to find uh, Gunner's contact. And as they get there, there's this weird, like, best way I can describe it is crucifix slash bondage thing that bounty hunters use well, no, to, like, I, I, I trap think, victims. I think I can describe it. It's like okay. a spider robot that then transforms into the sort of, like, trolley that, funnily enough, moved Hannibal Lecter around when he was tied up. Yeah, that's fair. Right, it's, a restraint, it's a restraint device, yeah, basically. Entirely. Um, and they said, crap, that's my contact. He's being taken in, and he was sold out by bounty hunters, so we're going to have to think of something else. And as they go in and ask for information, there's this weird alien that controls the body of like this corpse and talks through it. I'm just th- I'm just thinking, just for a second, uh, if this was still Star Wars, that would have been a Mandalorian that was turning him in, but go on. Oh, no doubt. it would. Yeah. The first time, we actually see him, like... As they they look at this bounty hunter as he walks away uh, out of the bar to like talk to the people outside, and I'm like, "There's Boba Fett moving on." Um, so no, the, they get some information basically that the Blood Axe cult or not cult clan that they're looking for is on this specific planet where it's ruled by this independent king, and so they're like, "Okay." So we'll go to that planet, and all we need is a ship to get out of here. And that's where Irish Han Solo jumps up and says, I have a ship. I'll yeah. take you there. He's like, top of the morning to you. I've got a ship. Uh, and But he says, oh, I've, I've got some business on a planet on the way, though, so we're going to stop there. But hey, there's someone there that you might want to recruit anyway. And that leads to our first recruitment scene. And then after they get their, their first person, we'll talk about all these scenes, obviously, but he yeah. says... Oh, you know what? I've got a few more in mind that we can pick up along the way, and that's that's like half the movie is them just going to these different planets and like recruiting different. They're different samurai, basically. Yeah. Um, it, it's wild. Actually, right, so one thing we we skipped over here uh, is mm. when they're on the way to the town, they have the campfire scene, and that this is the one that I mentioned earlier. It looked really fake to me. Oh yeah, right? that's right. This is the first of two extended like Cora's going to tell a story about her flash. She's going to bond with Gunner and tell him about who she really is. So. We find out that she was, as a child, she was part of another civilization that was completely massacred by the Empire. But this uh, high-ranking dude... Belisarius, the guy who eventually became... Oh, the villain, yeah, you're right, right, yeah. He, because she tried to fight him back, he sort of took a a likeness to her, right? He thought, oh, she's got fire in her. So he kind of took her under his wing, put her into the the military school of of the Empire, and she was trained 
as one of theirs and she was part of the the, the system uh we see her sort of at her graduation ceremony in her uniform she has like a different haircut and we see mm-hmm. like some flashbacks of her in battle and there's very little context for what this battle is like they say oh we're encouraged in military college to like find a lover because we'll care about each other on the battlefield cut to yeah. him lying there dead and then she just starts running in slow motion with her gun firing at whatever the enemy is <laughs> flag in hand yeah. gun in the other one <laughs> pile of corpses so there's very little context for what it is beyond just the person she cared about as a mm-hmm. that, that was his entire purpose uh and you know what maybe the girl who was almost assaulted earlier will be back and have a a, a payoff in the next movie but it feels really skeevy in this one that her entire purpose was just to be the threat the, the victim of that threat yeah for the main character to have a heroic moment and that was it i feel like they tried to give her a little bit extra by having her be the one that like gets the robot going as well yes. but it it wasn't enough like the fact that we keep calling her the girl means you didn't develop her no. into a full character no in fact i'm looking at the cast list at imdb right because there's the so there's like maybe i don't know like 24 names like before you click for more mm-hmm. i don't know if i see the actress who played that girl in this batch I, of faces I, I'm guessing here, just based off of like where it's located in the credits, I think she might be Charlotte Maggie, who played Sam. Okay. That's because it's credited right under the private who defended her. Okay, so that makes I sense. think that's her. But again, I don't remember the word Sam being said in this movie. So take that for what you will. Ah, well. Uh, so, yeah. yeah but- oh, one thing they kind of hint at is that not only is uh, Gunner slowly growing to like Korra, but Korra actually likes him, like, right off the bat. As soon as this movie starts, she's into him. Yeah, she's kind of staring at him. They're at, like, the, the gathering the night before the bad guys show up, and she's kind of giving mm-hmm. him the eye a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't go anywhere. It's not interesting, but it's happening. <laughs> it just might be motivation for him at the end to, like, make the right choice to try and save her kind of thing. Yeah. That's all it really is. Mm. Uh, so, yes, they're little gallivanting around the planets, collecting people. That's mm-hmm. where we are now. Great. And also, cut throughout that is cuts back to our noble guy, and he's basically getting information as to where the Blood Axe clan is located. So it's... oh. For the audience, it's a race of who's going to get to them first in order to get yeah. their help. Yeah, uh, I mean, if we have anything to say about them, we can sort of save that for yeah. right before they show up properly. But I, the them going around the planets, the first person they go to, or the first planet they go to, uh, they find, um, like, obviously Charlie Hunnam's got business here, you know, Irish Han Solo's got business here. Uh, mm-hmm. But basically, like, hey, yeah, this guy could be of help, but he's he's got a debt, so he's a slave to this... Uh, farmer is that that's not farmer he's he's a slave to this really skeevy guy who only cares about money introducing anakin scott i mean (laughs) terak yeah it's phantom menace you're right it's it's totally that phantom menace part um and this was baffling to me this scene because despite the fact that it feels like we spend a long time going around and collecting characters and it feels very repetitive Mm. all of them are also like too quick to actually have anything meaningful accomplished in the scenes like, they right. all feel rushed. They never, none of them feel like they earn, like, the people they're recruiting. So, mm-hmm. here, for example, they they sort of go up to the guy who's this sort of long hair, very sort of gladiatorial-looking dude. 
Yeah. He's, he's, he's standing there shirtless, like working in uh, metalworking or something like that. But my favorite bit here is that <clears throat> the guy who owns him is like stereotypical down south hillbilly kind of guy. And his name is literally Hick Man. <laughs> yeah, the, the, so the, but the character here of importance is Tarek. He's the one who's mm-hmm. the slave. And they explain, hey, there's a village in trouble, this farming village, we're trying to mount a defense. And he's like, yeah, you know, like, I, I I would believe in that that cause. Like, I would be into that, but I've got a mm-hmm. debt to pay off. And they turn around to the slaver and they're like, how much does he owe you? And he's like, 300 grand. That ought to cover it. And like, we don't have that kind of money. But then, just out of nowhere, he's like, but I am a betting man. I, I like a bit of gambling me. So how about we do a little bet? So we get this bet that comes out of nowhere that has no context. We have nope. no reason to understand why this is important to this guy. But he's got like a, a big crow that, you know, one that's big enough to ride. It's like a big crow mount. <laughs> it's it's the hippogriff from... Prisoner of Azkaban. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Sure. It's literally what it is. It's a big bird, right? Yep. I wanted to call it the big pigeon because that sounded funny, but it's definitely more crow-like than it is pigeon-like. But yeah. It, still, the big pigeon sounds funny. Um, mm. And he's like, yeah, this wild beast can't be tamed. You know, kind of like a horse that won't let anyone ride it. It's like, yeah. but if our man here, if Tarek can ride it, then you know what? He's free to go. If he can tame it, he can be gone. Um, mm. However, if he fails then I get all of you as slaves. And Korg is up to this guy. She barely does says, can you ride that thing? And he's like, yeah, I can ride that thing. And they just let it happen. And I'm like, this is just so out of nowhere. There is no context here for like why this guy is so willing to just gamble his person away like this. There's just nothing. There's yeah. nothing to it. And so we get this big sequence. That's, and this is one of the probably the worst sequence in the movie for as far as visuals go, because it's mm. a lot of like him awkwardly you know, on green screen, flying around. Uh, this is, of course, after he has his little, like, sort of, you know, hand on the side of the head, like, listen to me, girl. Like, yeah. I know you're captured, just like me, but we like get your inner peace. I don't even remember what he said, but it was a bunch of his, nonsense. His, the Hickman's, like, stagehands or whatever are holding him down, and then he steps up, and he's just like, no, this beast is just afraid. Let it go. I will control <laughs> it. And then he starts, like, nature talking to it. He's like, we're both from other worlds, and we both are hurt. Let me heal your wounds or whatnot. And he ends up getting onto its back, but it isn't tamed. So it starts flying around erratically and like ramming him into canyon walls as he's trying to fly it. At one point he gets thrown off and then he jumps. He has to run off to a ledge and jump on his back. Slow motion run into even slower motion, like in the air. And then he gets back on it. And then for some reason, that's enough to convince the beast. Oh, he's cool. I'm gonna let him ride me back. Yes, and but, then as yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but then of course, like the beast, like doesn't like the owner when he tries to raid him, and Tarot mm-hmm. looks back as he's leaving for the ship, going, "Good girl." <laughs> like, yeah, and the the guy is clearly impaled with this thing's talons. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just it feels all so quick and easy. Like they just like I thought the interesting part of convincing people to come join this fight would be okay. Who are these characters? What do they care about? And how are they going to convince them, right? Are they honorable? Are they skeevy? Whatever. And here mm-hmm. it's just like, it's all just down to, oh, it's the bet. It's just like, he has to go do something that looks cool. And again, cool as far as Zack Snyder's concerned anyway. We got to have cool and then we have to have Snyder cool TM. Yes. Um, and that's it. That's the whole thing. And honestly, like, 
maybe they don't get worse from here because at least is, it, is the next one the uh the lady with the swords is that she next yeah sword lady but can i just point out something here and yeah. at the very end of all these characters plots when we get into the third act at one point they're captured and they're being looked over by noble and noble gives their backstory and like he tells us things about these characters that we should have known up front. Oh yeah, they've all they're they're all like the only one we kinda know is that one's like a disgraced general who's lost his way, mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, it makes sense. He's got history with the empire because he's you know it's been right. kind of implied. He's a general, but the sense. but the other ones are like, oh wait, like these are really well known people and they're important in this mm-hmm. world, and we just didn't get like, that before. He, he looks at Tarek and he's like, ah, Tarek, yes, of course, or should I say, Prince Tarek? And I'm like, why the <laughs> That should have been brought up before this, man. Even if it's just like a conversation while they're in the ship flying to get to like Sword Lady, she should have said like, "Oh, by the way, I was a prince on my home world." And it's like, "Oh, okay." I, I think cool. the also the other problem with that is that it's too similar to the main character. Like she was part mm-hmm. of the system, and now she's like on this like little backwoods planet. Like it, yeah. it, it feels too similar. Like I get that you're trying to build this connection that they're all kind of like lost wanderers who have like need a purpose kind of thing. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But this one just feels a bit too specific when you compare it to her. Uh, when, once you know he's a prince. Uh, before that, I didn't have enough to go on to compare him to her. Yeah, we didn't because know about they him. do nothing. The moment he gets onto the ship, and this is true for all three people that were going to go around and get here. Sorry, more depending on if you count the blood axis. But for everyone, that as soon as they step on that ship, their characterization is done. You will yeah. learn nothing more about them. They don't even talk to them again, I don't think, once they're on the nope. ship. That's just that they're there. And there's one sequence where they talk to each other, like in the final scene, and I'm like, oh, right. They're human beings who can discuss things and not just luggage. I'm sorry, Zack Snyder, you made me forget that. <sighs> yeah, and I think, if anything, this was the best one in the sense that at least they set up that he would come with them if they, if they accomplish this thing. The, mm-hmm. the couple that come after this, especially this, so Nemesis is the sword lady, right? She's the, the cool, yep. badass Asian chick who's got the two laser swords. Uh, she's called Nemesis, and they go to this planet where she is currently, and it's this sort of more cyberpunky planet with lots of flying ships and like sort of big metropolis kind of still city. And yep. she's going to deal with the hostage situation because this is a mining planet, and the natural life here are these giant spider ladies. <laughs> And yeah. this giant spider lady, I think played by Jenna Malone. It looked like Jenna Malone. It was hard to tell because uh, it was CG face, but I think it was her. Maybe. I'll see if I can find her. Continue, though. I mean, I can see her in the cast list, but I don't, I don't know what the thing's name was. It says Harmada, uh, but was that her? That sounds right. Yeah. Um. So this spider lady's kidnapped a child because she's mad that, you know, the, all the humans and other species have invaded the planet to mine it. Uh, you've been destroying our tunnels, our natural resources, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think it's funny to bring this up because I'm like, it almost feels like this should be not a one-sided like moral thing. Like it feels like the issue she's bringing up is something that maybe should be sympathetic from the other characters, even if she has kidnapped a child. But they never, mm-hmm. like, the movie never tries to do anything with it to say, oh yeah, what's happened here has been cruel. This is a planet that's been taken from, you know, it's been industrialized Look, and it's been, uh, Pete, you know, if it. If if Spider Lady weren't Spider Lady and Spider Lady were just normal lady, then yes, we could have this intricate little conversation about who's like right or wrong here. But Spider Lady's a Spider Lady, which means she's evil because <sighs> spiders are evil. Yeah, I guess I was expecting more of a a moral debate from Star Trek, and I I, I shouldn't have thought that get into a Zack Snyder story. But man, I would I would love to see like 
she the, the spider lady gets slashed in half by uh nemesis here and then picard and group show up and be like we heard there was a situation oh okay never mind <laughs> yeah it just feels like oh you know it sounds like yeah like this this people have been have had their land taken from them the, the you know the natives mm-hmm. of this planet have been forced out of their homes they're like there's a lot here that feels like they're not that bad even though what she's doing right now is absolutely bad uh mm-hmm. but it's, it's just sold as a very simple no no she's got a child hostage nemesis is going to go and save the kid and she does we get this big action sequence where she's jumping around with her two laser swords um and she eventually you know kills her you, you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of like whenever there's like rioting or something like that for over some whatever injustice it may be at the time and then like people start looting yeah during the riots it's one of those things where it feels like it's pointing at the looters saying like why are they committing crimes this is awful they shouldn't be doing that and it's like okay but what we're just ignoring the massive injustice like behind the whole thing it feels like Zack Snyder's just pointing at the looters being like see if they commit crimes it's okay to commit injustices against them yeah and actually this was the point because just to clarify the way this plays out is that we just cut to the planet right we get a wide shot of the city and then mm-hmm. they're already walking and talking with Nemesis, right? We don't even yep. get like a build up to meeting her or anything like that. And then we get the fight scene. And then when the fight scene is done, right? And I guess the one other important thing here is that Gunner like jumps in and grabs the girl. So he kind of risks himself to save her. So he does a little heroic yeah. thing here. He's not as much of a coward, but he still has yet to like really prove himself. Yes. Uh, but after this fight, it just cuts back to the ship and Nemesis is on the ship. And I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, did, did we did we gloss over uh like <laughs> like the convincing her or uh no nope. and it was at this point i realized you know what like this is this weird in the middle of the two extremes you either give these characters real character development and give them like these convincing like sort of stories where they're drawn into this this fight for either because mm-hmm. they're getting paid and they're reluctant or because they actually believe in it whatever it may be but you set up a range of characters to really enrich the story or if you want to just be a more of a straightforward action movie, that's actually okay too. That's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. And th- then in that case, what you would do is this would be a montage. This entire like four planets they go to recruiting people one by one should be a montage of just the bullet points of who they are because that's really narratively all you get from them. It just plays out over like 10 minutes each time. Yeah, it feels to me, um, honestly, as we were describing it there, I didn't feel this way as I was watching it, but as we were describing it, it felt to me like you said Irish Han Solo gets on the ship and says, yeah, I've got a few more people. That's the point where it starts with the kill build. And we just see one by one them going to planets and picking them up. You see a few quick snippets of the fight scene with the spider lady and you see like a kill pose at the end and it's like, then she's on the ship and it's like, oh, they've recruited her. We're just going to brush her. And at that point you'd be like, okay, we're not going to, they're just fun action characters for the big final fight at the end and you'd go with that. But this is a two part, you know, four hour plus epic we're doing. Yep. And we're going to pretend that we're giving them depth by giving them full big scenes to introduce them, but they're so shortchanged in terms of what we're actually getting about the characters that mm-hmm. it's 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 lacking. Well, that's why that sequence when they do finally get like more backstory from the villain, that's what pissed me off so much about that. I'm like, okay, so this was written. You knew you <laughs> know what you want to do with these characters, and you purposely just skipped it. You just decided to not show us. Or even like tell this isn't even a problem of like telling not showing. This is a problem of you did neither. 
you just have another character offhandedly mentioned, like, oh, you didn't know this is Prince Tarek? And, well, we're not going to get into it now. And don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not, like, I don't think they should have given us everything in their introductions, but you, you tease something. You yeah. tease that Tarek has an important, like, heritage or something like that. I don't know, whatever. Like, yeah, because otherwise it's going to, when it does finally come up, it feels like, oh, but we have the specialist boy here. Didn't you know that Tarek was the specialist boy the whole time? <laughs> Like, no, because he wasn't. When we met him, he was yeah. just a guy. And maybe it'll happen in part two, but I also feel like in the third act, when the big action scene happens, it would have made sense to show each of these people they've recruited doing the thing that we know them for. So, you know, in Tarek's case, like flying something, you know, flying yeah. a beast or something and using that in the fight to their advantage. But that mm -hmm. never, like, happens. No, I mean, you we gotta see that for part two. Nemesis uses their swords, but that's just because that's her weapon, so it makes sense she'll have them, but they don't... Can we, can we, if we're going to talk about the fact that nobody does anything, can we please talk about the third person they pick up, General Titus? Well, this is the one they didn't even give a cool action scene to, right? So, yeah. So, so uh, Tar Tarek got the, the whole fly in the, the big pigeon, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, obviously, Nemesis gets the, 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 the quote-unquote cool double laser sword fight with the spider lady. Yep. They, they go to Gladiator Planet. <laughs> That's where they go. So this actor, right, who plays <laughs> this character... <laughs> Right, this it is important. Of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is important. Uh, Jimon uh, Honzu, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, there. I'm not sure, but right? yes, he is. He's done for. A few, he's in Guardians of the Galaxy. He's, he's had small roles in a bunch of things for decades now, clearly, because mm -hmm. you know Gar Gladiator was 2000, right? Yep. But that's probably his biggest role is that he was this supporting character in Gladiator, and mm -hmm. we land on a planet, and there's this awful green screen shot of them looking up at the Colosseum. It's the Colosseum. Oh, yeah. I forgot that, yeah. yeah. And it looks terrible. And like, yeah, it's a gladiator planet. And then I'm like, okay. And, and this, it didn't click when I was watching. I just I was just focused on how bad it looked. And then it cut to the shot of them finding him drunk in the street. And I went, wait a minute. Are they introducing <laughs> the guy who's known for being a gladiator on a gladiator planet? Mm -hmm. This feels really... <laughs> I don't know what... It's... I don't even know what it feels like. It just feels stupid. It felt to me, especially because we show them like zooming around to planets and such like that. I don't even know if this registers in your memory because I think you might have tried to block it out. You remember in the new Space Jam movie when they went to like all the different planets in the WB-verse? Ah, and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, here's the Matrix planet. Here's, here's, the, here's the planet where we um, have Casablanca. This just, like, again, it felt like Gladiator planet. It felt like, oh, hey, we want to pick up a character from Gladiator. Here you go. And all this guy, they, they just wake him up and clean him up, right? Because he's drunk and, like, half unconscious. And they just mm -hmm. spray him down with some water. She comes in, uh, uh, she being Cora, Cora, the main character, who I've barely mentioned for, like, half an hour, which should tell you something. Doesn't do anything. Yeah. And she's like, hey, we're building this defense, blah, blah, blah. And Titus is really cynical and jaded. Clearly, he's lost his way. He's like, ah, oh, it's about honor, blah, blah, blah. Honor's stupid. Ah, oh, you know, it doesn't do anything. And then she leans in and goes... What about revenge? And he looks at her, and that's him. He's joined up. He's joined yep. up. He's on the ship now. That's all he gets. <laughs> a montage would have served yep. you really well. Either actually give them interesting scenes that introduce them and make what a root for them and make them make me interested in their stories, or just do the montage. If that if all they are are their their two dimensional action character tropes, if that's all they are, just do a montage. 
Yeah. You literally, if you wanted to have these cool moments for each of the characters, you even could have done it in the montage. Like, have them step yeah. up and say, like, hey, we need your help. And then, like, we just see her really quickly take care of the spider beast, showing how great she is. It's like, okay, cool, she's in. <laughs> and Tarek, same thing. Like, oh, I'll let him go if he's able to tame that beast. And he just walks up and immediately takes care of it. Super awesome. He's good at what he does. Is doing something that should have been a montage over like 40 minutes of screen time, is this the ultimate Zack Snyder slow motion like reaching the new ascendancy? I should have been clocking this the whole <laughs> yes. time through. This is all something that could have been faster. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. If you make this a montage and then like make all the slow motion uh, regular speed, this movie would be like 45 minutes maybe. Oh, yeah. No, this is like we can't overstate how much of the movie is just them going around talking to these people and getting them out. Like, it sounds like nothing's happening, but it just keeps going. Yeah, because we're probably an hour and 20 in by the time you get to this guy. Maybe not quite that because we still got to Mm. the blood axes. But at this point is where I was like, oh, God, like, we're not even going to get back to the village in this part. I, I will say I'm very happy with the fact that by the time we get done, it's not seven. Like, I thought we were going to go actually with seven sure. samurai, but it's like five, and I am so much better off for that. Yeah, yeah. Five, five including... Was it, no, was it maybe six including Korra and Gunner? Oh, I mean, it's, 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 Korra, Korra, Gunner, the three we just talked about, and then the, if you technically wanted to count Irish Han Solo as one of no, them during he, this period. He, no, he turns his back on them. But there is a, that case, there's another yeah. one, though, because there's the, the final of the Blood Axe Blood gang Axe. who sticks yeah. with them. Yeah, I say gang, so but not six, a gang. But, yeah. It's six by the time that the fight yeah. will probably start. Yeah. Um, maybe and then the robot. Yeah, robot. The robot's going to join in. Yeah. There you go. Or, there's or, our seven samurai. Or the good stormtrooper. Maybe he's seven. Nope. He's going to die now. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, like, okay, they know what planet they're going to talk to the Blood Axes, but the villains have also sort of discovered that by torturing the guy from yeah. earlier on that was captured so they, they at the, get, by the bounty hunters. They get the guy from the bounty hunters, and he's still bound up in this, and he's just like, oh, I'll tell you whatever you need to know, just let me go. And the, let me be free are the exact words. And once he gives up the information, they show that in the back of this chair that's binding him down is like a gun slot where you're able to put essentially a powered screwdriver into it and separate the vertebra killing them instantly and so he does that because he's just so evil and then honestly from there he they they keep on cutting back to the villains of people like showing up saying like sir we have some more information on the blood axes and it's like okay but we already know their planet so we're just gonna go there and they do that like three times until finally we catch up to now. Yeah. So we get to the the planet where the blood axes are hiding. So it's not their planet. This is like another you know race that are mm-hmm. hiding them right from the empire. It's like an independent planet ruled by yeah. this kind king. Yes, who's got like a CG face because he's got like squiggly bits and he's like very alien and it's whatever. it's like Davy Jones, but not nearly as impressive. So the blood axes show up, including the uh, the, the the two siblings and. Cora mm-hmm. makes her case about why they need them, and she's like, "Look, this is a lost cause. Fighting that you know, the Star Destroyer basically uh, is is yeah. not going to go very well." Uh, but the brother sort of goes up and sort of gets what their cause is, and he's like, "What's the point of being a rebellion if we're not going to help the people that we're trying to make a better future for? I'm going to go with them." And then he asks for volunteers of his of because they've got like a reasonable group of people with them. Yeah, I'd say they got a good at least like four dozen people minimum. Yeah. 
So about a dozen say volunteer to go with them and back up this fight. Mm. And I'm like, okay, these are just red shirts effectively, but oh, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. But they, I would, they specifically I, but, separate out one of them and say like, hey, me and you have a long well, history, Mr. She, Ray Fisher. Yeah, she's the first one. Uh, Melius is the, is the woman who comes out first and he's like, oh yeah, that uh, makes sense, you're first. I'm not surprised. And she's, a, she's the only one that's going to be alive at the end of the movie. I thought yeah. at least some of the red shirts would survive until the, the village fight and they die in that. Um, I wasn't expecting them all to be dead by the end of this movie, but no, no, no. It's it's seven samurai. Only the samurai show up. Well, yeah, but they pull a swerve here because you think the brother is going to be the one who's the samurai, and it's actually you know Blood Axe yeah, himself. True. But instead, it's this woman Milius, who's the only survivor oh. of their group. Well, also, and, oh, just just to clarify, yeah. when I say the only survivor of their group, I mean only the small group that go with our, our samurai group. Mm-hmm. Not the, Like, the sister and her, the rest of the army are still out there somewhere doing whatever. Yeah, you get the feeling that either they're going to show up at, like, their darkest of moment course, in part yeah, two, yeah. or they're saving them for some other spinoff they're doing. Um, Again, so I think you're being, like, I get why you're being cynical, but I think you're being ultra cynical and not just assuming it's something in part two. Like, I, like at this yes. point, I think it's like as much as I hate Zack Snyder's movies, I think it's being too cynical to assume that these things are set up for spinoffs. I think right now we know this movie split in half. These are things that are, if if we get to the end of part two and they've not paid off these things, by all means, rip into the the blatant I, stuff. But I, I don't I think it's valid get that. yet. I fully get that. My reason for feeling it to be valid, and again, this is just. However it'll be is how it'll be. But when I was reading through this Entertainment Weekly article where he talks a lot about, like, the universe and stuff, the big thing that keeps coming back is him saying, like, we're at the epicenter of a new universe. This is a whole new thing that we need to maintain, like, canon in in order to make this all consistent. And it just sounds like he already has all of these plans for what he wants to do with it as soon as he's done with this story. Well, I hope they don't do well enough to get a part three. That's all Same. I'm going to say. Same. But I'm just saying that's how it felt like it was built. And even how this story is structured is that he's laying these seeds no. for things that he can pick up elsewhere. Look, I'm not expecting part two to be good. I think I'm going to hate the shit out of, the, out of it. But yeah. the things that are being set up here that are left angling, I have to give the benefit of the doubt that they are things for part that's two. Fair. Right? That's I, fair. Until part two is done, I think that's the only fair to do. And that's why I'm putting that as an option. I'm not saying that he can't do that, but I'm also throwing out the option that it might not. Well, we're going to know in three months. I just, you know, like, oh, yeah. it's not. Absolutely. Um, so one thing I did want to bring up, though, that honestly, they only mentioned like once or twice throughout here is that the plan is not for these rebels, these seven samurai that they're bringing in to do the fighting. They actually want to do the thing where they train the villagers on how to fight as well, which seems out of I like it made sense for me in seven samurai where all you needed to know was like how to use a sword or like whatever but like these people are using these complex ships and these huge weapons that require a lot more training than that it just seems a bit less or a bit more of an ask than it was Mm. in seven samurai to train basic people of the earth villagers than it was there yeah after this is the scene where charlie hunnam irish han solo comes yeah. up and says, hey, by the way, I think I might actually give up this life of being a scoundrel and join you and be your, your seventh. <laughs> and she's like, oh, that's great. And I'm like, this feels so unearned. He better be betraying her. And sure yeah. enough, uh, what's his face? Noble, the villain. 
He shows mm-hmm. up at their next spot because he says, hey, before we go back to Urban, though, I have some like, goods to deliver and I don't want to have anything on my head, so let's go do that first. So they go yeah. to Random Planet and they're on like a, a big platform where ships are docking and this is where the big final fights of the movie is going to take place. Mm-hmm. And the villains show up. Charlie Hunnam betrays them. Uh, there's a bunch Everyone's of those... locked into those chairs. Yeah, there's a bunch of those... like A bunch of the crates turn out to be those transforming crab robot things that turn into restraints. Mm-hmm. So, and almost everyone's restrained. Gunner's not, but all of the warriors are. Like, you know, Nemesis, uh, Tarkus, or Tarek, sorry, um, and... Ray Fisher. And the general. Yep. He wasn't even the last one. You said that so confidently, like he's the only one that I was forgetting. I always try to think of uh, Hunzu's character. In, in fairness, I'm literally looking at, like, Ray Fisher's credit right now. That's It's underlined blue and everything. I just see it there, and I'm like, there he is. Yeah, the general... Hanzo's uh, uh, character's called Titus, for the record, which I don't even yes. remember. It just sounds like his character... Like, it sounds like it's a character from Gladiator. <laughs> it just sounds it like does. that's it. So they're all locked up, uh, and... Because these villains are especially cruel, like you said, the main bad guy, Noble, so it gives a little bit of all their backstory really mm. weirdly here. But the thing they want to do is they want to make Gunner be the one to kill uh, Korra. And yeah. it's also important here that Noble's like, hey, this is going to make my military clear. I'm going to be in the Senate for Bloodstone alone, but all of you are wanted by the Empire. And he gets to Korra and he's like, and you're not, your name's not really Korra. Your name's atheris or whatever it was yeah Some of that. it's something but you were part of the empire you you're you're especially wanted oh my i'm going to make a whole career out of you capturing you and but they want gunner to kill her they give him the drill thing that goes at the back of this this neck brace and they want him to mm-hmm. kill her but somehow gunner knows how to unlock it without killing her so he just does that instead <laughs> God, i cannot think of like a stupider way to get out of this like problem where it's like okay we're gonna give him the gun he's gonna stick it into this slot and then it's gonna shoot her but it turns out that if you just don't pull the trigger and rotate it to the left that's what frees them and what like nobody thought of that nobody thought like hey let's not hand the key to this containment thing at the same time. I think for me, it was especially great in that they never set this up. They never, like, like they, yeah. showed, they showed the bad guy use this earlier, but they, they did it in such a quick way where he fires it and then turns it that it just felt like, you. it felt like the only way to get out of it was to kill them, right? They never, really, they never set up that it was a separate thing you could do. You could just unlock it yeah. instead. You know what they needed to do is when they showed it on the first guy, they have a little screen on there that specifically shows, like, what is going to happen if you pull the trigger. Like, they show the blade yeah. going into the vertebra. They needed to show him unlocking him and letting him walk out or walk down the thing, but then still shooting him, yes. still killing him. Like, to just, A, that still gets the extra bit of cruelty, but B, it shows you the unlocking thing is a process. So, yeah. missed opportunities. Yeah. And then, wouldn't you believe it, we're in the third act fight scene because we have to yep. end part one. So, Great. we get this over-the-top CG fight. Um, all of the the bloodstone warriors are like dying in their planes because there's like a big ship that's sort of like tilted sideways with like a, a artillery gunner who's like firing the way, at them. Yeah. By the way, you keep saying bloodstone. It's blood axe. Sorry, blood axe. You're good. It doesn't make a difference. I'm just yeah. Pointing fair out. enough. Blood. Uh, who cares? No one cares. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares. Uh, so. Yeah, of course, as soon as the fighting starting, the slow motion kicks in and Korra's mm-hmm. firing a, a laser machine gun in slow motion while running. And One thing that 
we kind of pointed out, I don't think we ever went into detail, is that the weapon of choice of Noble is a big stick. It's a, it's a cane, I think, maybe more It's a accurately. cane, but like, his whole thing is that he swings it like a club, and it's it does damage, he swings it well, but it is still a melee weapon. And there are several points in this fight scene where, like, he should be dead. Everyone has guns. He has a stick. And yet, like, people continue to, like, try to run up to him to shoot him, and he just swings the stick. And it's like, stand three feet away and you're cool. You can kill him. He's right there. But no, they get, because they need to show the slow motion running up to him and this whole like tracking shot moving slowly across the battlefield. It's... Yeah, they also have this moment where he gets knocked down, and as he's mm-hmm. slowly rising back up, and he uses the cane to like balance himself. The, the shot does this sort of like you know low angle looking up at him, and he's all very villainous mm-hmm. and evil. Um, actually, this reminds me. There's a scene that was basically like not a big deal in the middle with the villains where. They, they go somewhere to question someone or something, but at the end of the scene, they nuke the planet. And I only want to bring this up because oh, yeah. they start nuking the planet before Noble's actually on his ship to leave. <laughs> and I thought, yeah. like, Zack Snyder just thought this was so cool that the villains just casually got onto his ship as mushroom clouds are appearing behind them. But all I could think was, like, if he just mistimes this by, like, 10 seconds, he's dead. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 it just it was so stupid. It was stupid. Oh, yeah. No, it was, it was, they went to the Blood Axe planet because, like, the planet that they were staying at with the Nice King. That was that planet, okay. Yeah, they went up to the Nice King and they did a whole villain speech where the Nice King's like, our our entire society is based off of kindness and charity. And the villain's just like, oh, God, charity? (laughs) I'm going to blow you up out of principle now. Our big sacrifice scene is Blood Axe himself, uh, Mm -hmm. who sees an opportunity to run up a bunch of uh, like beams and stuff to get to the gunner who's on the ship who's like basically annihilating everyone with this big mortar gun. So mm-hmm. he runs up and he jumps on and of course he gets shot as he's doing it but he's able to like destroy the guns and I'm like okay so this is Zack Snyder doing his sacrifice thing. Of course yes. it is, right? So real quick the big thing, the set piece if you want to say here is that as blood axe dies he hits the control lever or whatever inside this guy's gunner's pit and the whole ship this huge it's like like you said the star destroyer just starts careening it starts falling down where everyone is fighting why the hell can the gunner steer the entire ship that doesn't seem like it's his position that doesn't seem like that should be there at all because he wanted this big platform walkway yep. to have a ship fall through the middle of it. That's why. <laughs> and you're right. That is the reason. But and, like, it's which, so well, unpoorly thought out. Which leads to Cora running and diving in slow motion to go under this falling ship because she wants to be on the same side as the villain. All the other heroes are, were on the side she was already on, but she mm-hmm. wants to go un- slide under the ship as it's falling just in time in slow-mo so she can get to the bad guy and fight him. And they end up on a platform, not like the end of Empire Strikes Back. Now that I'm thinking about it, where yeah. there, you know, there's like a threat of falling off the ledge, and he's fighting her with with his cane, and she's breaking his arm and knocking out all of his teeth and breaking his stick and hitting him with it and stabbing him with it, and it's the whole thing. Yeah. And then eventually he falls off the the ledge and uh, to his his death. 
Um, and as to his death, he does come back, but he, he is dead. Like he's, he's, they're not pretending he didn't die from this fall. He I mean, did. you say that, but I, on the on the Wikipedia page at least that describes the plot, the final paragraph says heavily injured but still alive, comma noble. I don't. Mm, well, that's bullshit. <laughs> if, yeah. if, if they're claiming that is bullshit, because he, he he should definitely be dead. Oh, um, absolutely. But. I mentally, when I first saw him lying at the bottom and we cut back to him later, I thought his eyes were going to open and I was just going to be like, F you movie, F you. Oh yeah, the musical sting as it yeah. opens up and says, end part one, and you just cry a Instead, there's a lot of sci-fi fantasy nonsense mm-hmm. to bring him back, yep. but we'll get to that. Uh, so we get our final lineup of characters and like every single one of Blood Axe's team that came with them is dead, except the one who got a couple of lines of dialogue, which is Melius, yep. who is now like part of the team. And what really robbed me the wrong way between this scene and then the scene where we get to next where they're, they're on the horses going back to the village together is mm-hmm. that for some reason they're like, oh, I guess we don't have to fight the bad guys now at the village. And I'm like, why? What, 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 what no. about this makes you think they're not going to retaliate? They, they have one throwaway line where, what's her name? Uh, Cora. She says... Oh, it's in it, it's mother world protocol that when an admiral dies, all ships must return to whatever. So like they know that they have a reprieve at this time and no other ships are going to show up. And it's like, what? What, <laughs> what? what did we do this whole thing for? But Why are these people even here now? Like, even if that's completely true and the ending mm-hmm. kind of th- I think throws a wrench in what she's saying anyway. But even yeah. if this was completely true, they're eventually going to come. Well, they're going to yeah. come absolutely somebody is still going to be alive who was like aware of the fact that this because the entire thing i don't even know if we said at the beginning the entire thing is that they showed up and they basically said like we need food for the war your planet makes food give us food and the war's still going on like this is still a military thing it's not like this planet is just off the map they just happened to dodge it up till now. Like something's going to happen regardless. And especially now that this guy has sent military people down. Honestly, you know, the part that threw me most for a loop is the fact that they sent down this crew of military officers to like watch over these people in the meantime of these 10 weeks. They were all killed after what seems to be like two days max. And I, 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 I think it was that night. <laughs> I don't think it was even yeah, two days it was, later. <laughs> it was honestly probably the first night, but like no one, like there was no sort of like check-in process. There was no sort of thing where like, oh, hey, we can't get in contact with any of our military guys. Maybe we should go back to that planet. I don't know now. It's weird though, because if part of the movie part two is going to be training the villagers how to like defend themselves so they can help in the fight, then... Mm-hmm. They, they have to know the threat's coming to be doing that. And yeah. it, the movie ends with them on their horses going back to the village and everyone's like, oh, it's very beautiful and idyllic and blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. um, one of them says, oh, it's a shame we won't have the fight. This would be a good place to die. And the final, not the final line of the movie, but the final line from the main character in this movie is, yes, yes, it would be. And again, that comes back to the Zack Snyder, like, you know, a good death is it's mm-hmm. is, the, is a is a good reward. Whatever the line is from Man of Steel, right? Did they not, did they not say? Maybe my brain made this up because I wanted them to say it. Is this would be a good place to die, and then someone responds with, or a good place to live? No, nah, no one said that. No one said that. <laughs> I don't think so because I, I thought right. I thought someone was going to say that, and I don't think they yeah. did. Um, I guess my brain just inserted that. Oops. Uh, unless unless I just missed it because I was too busy like being mad that Zack Snyder's doing his the only thing uh, worthy of a character for happiness is a good death 
Like that's yep. all, all his characters and all of his movies have this goddamn attitude. And it ends on this like, you know, angelic shot of them in the fields going towards the village. And I know, I know, and, I know, I know, I know yeah. what you get into. I know we get into. shut yeah. up, right? Just you get it in a second. Yeah. You can talk about yeah. it. But it ends in this angelic moment of them walking through the fields and the moment that he ends this conversation on of beauty of like, oh, we've saved something today is Yes, this would be a good place to die. That's your final sentiment, you son of a bitch. This yeah. is oh, I hate it so much. But yes, yes, the robots in the field with antlers or something on his head. <laughs> yeah, I, okay. I, I mean, just to go off what you said, yes, it is infuriating the fact that that that's all these people could talk about. Like we skipped over some of the conversations they had with the blood axis. Like literally, all the blood axis were saying the entire time they were talking there is just like this is a suicide mission. You are going to die. Yes. That is what is going to happen here. And we are just going to straight up own that fact. Who's in? And then you get people who sign up literally to die. So it is this fatalistic viewpoint that Zack Snyder shares across all of his works that is incredibly infuriating. The problem that I had with the robot bit, though, is that, as you said, at the end there, he shows up wearing antlers. He has a full different headdress now, and it implies that he's had a story going on. <laughs> he's been doing things, and we just never got to see them. They're teasing something for part two. I don't know. Like, okay, fine. You want to go back and tell us, hey, what has the robot been up to this entire time? Fine, sure, maybe whatever. That, but maybe, like, maybe that'll be the opening. Maybe the opening will be like a little short film of just the, the adventures the robot was on during the rest of the story in part one. I want it to be an animated series aimed for like age five and under. Of like, <sighs> what was he up to? Tell me what. Yeah. Tell me what Anthony Hopkins' robot was doing. Depending on how you look at it, this movie's either Act One of Seven Samurai or arguably mm. maybe Acts One and Two of like A Bug's Life because I feel like A Bug's Life was more structured that way where you know going back and like doing the actual fight was more the third act right and yeah. either one's fine depending on what you're going to focus on but either way obviously it's incomplete here this this feels that like we oh, spent yeah. like so much time doing the stuff that could have just been act one and maybe mm-hmm. it have felt fulfilling if it was just all set up for the rest of the movie but instead it's it's drawn out to two yeah. hours and 15 minutes <sighs> anyway we're not we're done we've got the the coda One last thing yeah yep. we've, we've got the dead body well or possibly dead body of noble being picked up by some of his men and they put him in i can only describe it as you know in the matrix when neo wakes up in the real world and he's got all the tubes connected to him right? so they mm-hmm. connect all these tubes to him right and they're all glowing whatever color blue uh, going in red coming out yeah and they put him into again much like the matrix it's got sort of jelly they sort of like submerge him in this jelly and then he goes into like the mind matrix where he talks to the main villain, the the current emperor Belarius, Belisarius, 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 yes, that dude, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and he's like, so what have you learned? And he's like, oh, dude, I found her. I found, I found your 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 aide, the the woman you raised as a daughter. She's out your there, adopted daughter. Yep. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Brett, you know, you're not going to kill her. You bring her back alive and don't fail me again. Like, you, you, you seem to be proud of all this, but you're telling me my most fierce warriors now joined the resistance, you little prick. So go and deal with that and don't fail me again or I'll be hanging you in front of the entire empire. And it's like, okay. And all I could think was is like, this is like, I'm not saying Belarius or Belisarius, whatever his name is, 
Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that he's actually dead. I'm sure he's just like talking through this. This is like maybe more akin to the the projector, like having the video call from Star Wars. But, yeah, pretty much. But I also feel like because the main bad guy was in a dying state and they cooked him up to this kind of like afterlife machine to talk to him, I was sort of mm-hmm. thinking, oh, this is almost like if the Sith had like a Force ghost. Like he's talking to a Force ghost yeah. almost kind of vibe. I could see that. Uh, it makes sense. It, it, the, the other thing going on in this sequence is that they're standing on like a frozen lake and he keeps on tapping the ice with his staff and it like cracks underneath mm. him with this blue energy. It gives him a real sense of like power here, but obviously this is all psychic stuff, so it's unclear as to how much power he actually has. I mean, in the, in, real the, world. in the flashback of the king's daughter, she brought a bird back to life. It may be the reason why yeah. the bad guy comes back here is because this guy has either stolen that power or also had that power and has brought him back to That's life. That's true. I would be interesting. Uh, but either way, um, he basically resuscitates him and the final shot of the movie is the you know noble waking up and sort of in pain mm. it's like you know now he's got his mission so strangely with all of his teeth which i know he lost many of during that fight they <laughs> that, slow they slow mode showing he lost teeth that is very true so can, can i just yeah, go on this this movie right is part one and it wants mm. us to behave for part two and i guess that he's more motivated now but you ended this movie with the good guys beating the villain. Like, he's done. Yeah. He's been beaten. So, it's not that scary anymore, if he ever was, arguably. Uh, but Honestly, what I was expecting to happen the moment they showed his body on the rocks is I expected them to go full episode three, put him in the Vader suit. Mm. Like, give him some sort of augmentations to bring him back to life and make him a more menacing threat. But, nope. He's... Just not even a different goofy ass haircut. It's the same goofy ass haircut. I thought he was going to at least get a robotic arm, actually, like Star Wars, because his arm get broke like three times. Like, <laughs> yeah, like three different times there. Yeah. Oh no. dear. Yeah. So yeah, this is this is us seeing the Emperor at the end, who's actually in charge of the Empire right now, kind mm-hmm. of thing. So. So the only things that I think the next part has to throw at us in terms of twists is they specifically say that the uh, royal family was executed, but they don't go into it. They don't show that moment, and they just say, it happened. And it's kind of left up to the uh, the Empire puts out that it was a rebel. It was some sort of rebellion force that assassinated them. Oh, it definitely whereas, wasn't. No, no. Right. Whereas 100... the viewer thinks that it's the Empire. Yeah. 100 percent this was uh belarus or whatever his name is uh this was him (laughs) this was him taking power this was him blaming the the rebels but this was him seizing power so here's my little thing that i think might throw a twist into it is that as we see during her second flashback explanation of her life when she sees the little princess has this power is that she is the princess's bodyguard Mm -hmm. she is meant to protect this princess I think that to some extent, Cora feels like she's the one who did it. I don't think she actually killed her themselves, but I think that she maybe made a wrong decision or something oh, sure. that Gil- resulted yeah. in their death. Yeah, I, no, I, I think Gil's definitely a part of it. And, mm-hmm. um, I feel a bit theorizing, though, because I just don't care. I don't care. Like, I mean, yeah. I'm talking about what's in the movie and critiquing why it doesn't work and why I don't think it works, but I, oh, yeah. I, like, I, I don't... As far as That's theorizing, the only thing that had any interest to me theorizing at all. Nothing else in this movie mattered beyond the runtime. Yeah. 
I, I just, I don't care. I don't care where it's going. I just know we're going to have to do it. We'll come back. We'll talk about why I hate it some more, why you hate it some more, I presume as well, and we'll we'll wrap that up. <laughs> Great. Sounds like a good time, and the next one hopefully won't be on a major holiday. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's that thing where, like, at this point, Zack Snyder's style and the way he writes characters and what he does, it, like, it's so ingrained that, like, it would be absurdly shocking to me if he suddenly put out a movie that was very different and that I like, just because, mm-hmm. like, he is who he is. He's making the movies that he makes, and at this point, yeah. I just don't, I don't see it changing. Um, it would it would be like if Spielberg he or not Spielberg uh, Tarantino released his next movie and all of a sudden it's like E. T. It's <laughs> like well that's out of character. I'm a bit shocked by that one. Like obviously there's a lot of big directors who sort of have a decline in quality over mm-hmm. their careers with De Palma. And I, I would even argue Spielberg. I don't think Spielberg's as good in his like last couple of decades nah. as he was in his heyday. But um. But, you know, I don't see that being a case with Zack Snyder where he hits that point, or arguably already has, and all of a sudden that makes him work for the people who hated his work beforehand. I don't think so. Like, No. I, I just... I, I, It's baffling to me because people who love Zack Snyder seem to think his movies are really deep, and I don't... Like, I, it, it, to me, it couldn't be less shallow. Like, I, I think his movies are so surface level, and mm-hmm. I don't think he understands the things that he's, his uh, characters are, are trying to say or do. I think some of his movies even sort of veer kind of right-wing in a way where I don't think he's necessarily trying to promote anything. I think he, some of the characters and the way that he plays with themes just lend themselves to those viewpoints sometimes. Yeah, and absolutely. It, yeah, it's just this... Anyway, there's, there you go. There's, a, there's this thing in psychology where you have a college student who takes their very first like psychology class and they think like, oh, I can like break down anybody. I can, I, I'm going to talk about like, oh, here's why you feel this way. It's because of your mother or whatever. But as soon as you start taking more classes, you understand like, oh, okay, this is a lot deeper and there's a lot more nuance to this than just like the basic things I learned in the first class. I feel like Zack Snyder is the psychology 101 class. It's people who are being introduced to this like, big film that says that it's saying a lot and so you get this you start reading into it you start seeing meaning where there isn't but as soon as you get exposed to any other form of cinema you're like oh wait hold on there's this is what it's actually this is what it's supposed to be never mind forget that it's just, it's, it just it feels so derivative i, I really can't mm-hmm. emphasize that that's this is maybe the most derivative movie he's made because it just yeah. feels like a couple of really famous movies smashed together with some tropes lifted from elsewhere, some of which he uses a lot, some of which maybe he's doing for the first time. But it's a lot of the same DNA that he typically has in his movies. And I think if you like Zack Snyder movies, you'll probably like this because it is definitely a Zack Snyder movie. (laughs) Like, I can't deny that. Let's say something good about the movie. It's definitely a Zack Snyder movie. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, But I think it's shit. So... That's fair. I, I, th- I think it's it's horseshit, quite frankly, and I I have uh, very little positive to say about it. Um, I think it's shallow, vapid. The characters are are just unlikable and have no heart or redeeming qualities really beyond their their sort of one note purpose in the story, and they're kind of repetitive in their nihilistic views, and uh, mm-hmm. so much of it is just 
like, oh, this is going to be cool in slow motion, but the the conflicts aren't set up enough for me to actually care about why they're doing anything or what's happening. It's yep. it's honestly, it's actually kind of fascinating how much he's borrowing from other movies, like I said, but not understanding why they worked. So he's borrowing so much, but none of it's working. And I think mm-hmm. from a film student perspective, you could probably use Zack Snyder's movies in like film school to be like, hey, let's talk about why this doesn't work compared to these other yeah. movies that do work. You put on you put on the Magnificent Seven and you put on this and you say, now, why did one of those work when they borrowed Seven Samurai <laughs> and the other one didn't? Yeah, I don't even like Magnificent Seven that much, but it's definitely better than this. Like, I'm not. Oh, yeah, you know, for sure. Uh, so. I guess we're, we're rating the movie. We're rating the movie. Great. What are you giving? What are you giving Rebel Moon Part One? A child of uh, fire and ice. A child of fire and ice. Yeah. About as satisfying of an ending too. <laughs> um, man, I don't. It's, it's the highest I could feasibly go is a five, but it's not going to get there. So I'm just trying to like five as if I came out of it pure neutral. So how many points do I dock off? And honestly, I think there are there were actual sequences where I started laughing at just how absurd it was. The first time that it did the slow-mo into extra slow-mo, I was like, all right. At this point, it's just Zack Snyder's aware of what we're talking about him, and he's trying to play it up. Um, yeah, I, I'd say this is probably for me... I'd say three. I'm going to go with a three. Hey, that's, I a, think, that's the number I was thinking as well. All right, cool. I'm, I, starting, to, I'm starting to get the feel of it now. <laughs> Not that you have to align with me, but I think yeah. three makes sense to me because I think it's terrible. I think it only doesn't go down lower just because there's production value, there's actors, there's music. Like There is worse, right? Mm-hmm. There, there is, there is Birdemic for example but right but that's yeah. that's the sort of thing that i can compare it to and say yeah i guess it's better than that but i, I three three is pretty much as low as i think anything that has more than a hundred million dollars behind it could like reasonably go unless you do something truly abysmal yeah um uh, yeah I, I think three out of ten is is where i'm landing uh it's hard to feel that passionate about it i'm going to happily forget a lot of it as quickly as i can which may be interesting when we get to part two but (laughs) it's also not complex enough that i feel like it's going to matter uh how much i remember or forget here's what's going to happen before we start watching part two i'm going to send you an edited video file that i made that's just a bug's life but then every time that there's a transition i'm going to put like a wow sound effect to give it that sci-fi feel very good uh, all right, three out of ten then from both yep. of us. Uh, that's about where I expect it to line up, honestly. You know, yeah. I feel like Zack Snyder movie. I expect something between a three and a four out of ten from my from my ratings every time. I, I want to go back and remember what I rated uh, Snyder Cut because I know it couldn't have been that high. If we even rated Snyder Cut, I'm not sure we did. I, uh, we probably did. I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, that is that is Rebel Moon Part One. Merry Christmas, everyone! Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, by the time this goes out, it'll be the day after Boxing Day, but still. For the patrons, though, the patrons get it on, on Christmas. Christmas yeah. Do they not? Yeah, there you go. Oh, that's true. Yeah, the patrons get it on Christmas, which means I have to edit this on Christmas Day. 
I thought well, I had luck with that, Pete. I thought I had the day off. I thought I'd get everything done that I needed done for the next couple of days and I could chill for Christmas, but apparently I'm editing Rebel. I didn't even think of this. Damn it. <laughs> write an intro. I, I, I don't know what I'm going to write for the intro yet on the on the video, but I can promise you I'm going to be very sassy. <laughs> just just I wanna see your script just be like uh for twenty seconds. Oh, in the end of my Home Alone 4 uh, intro was basically me making a, a noise and pain. So oh, that's right. It yeah. does happen. It does happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so yeah, uh, patreon.com slash TV is very important. Uh, David's about to tell us about his homework, but just before mm-hmm. that, I'll tell you about Patreon. Uh, monthly, we do a couple of bonus shows. There's other bonus shows as well that I do with other people related to the horror yes. movie podcast and stuff. Uh, streams after midnight. But... For David and I specifically, there's two bonus shows that we do. Uh, every tier gets access to the Criterion Cut, a monthly show where we review movies from the Criterion Collection. So some of the best movies of all time. Uh, we have some discussion. We try to, you know, have a have a thoughtful chat, analyze, and sort of say what the films mean to us and whatever mm-hmm. else. Uh, so that that's one for us. We want to just have a good excuse to watch good movies. Uh, yeah. Every so often. At the $5 tier and up, there's another show called Extra Reels that we do, which is a monthly review show where we do some of the worst movies of all time. We're talking Neil Breen. We're talking Tommy Wiseau. We're talking David Dakota. We're talking James Wen. We're talking about the true auteurs of absolute garbage. Uh, So if that sounds of interest, you can access that on Patreon and support Mm -hmm. all this content and help keep the show coming. But anyway, David... Yes. Every week on the Ace, for the foreseeable future, you're going back and you're catching up on a sci-fi movie that you hadn't seen before that me and Tara did before your time on the show. So that you've got the same history eventually that, that you know that I do, more or less. Yep. And we can we can have a, a more more conclusive top fifties and hundreds and whatever we do in the future. Yep. So what was this week's sci-fi homework? I don't think that it's a big surprise. That it's Star Wars. It's got to be Star Wars. Like, what else am I going to watch? It's got to be Star Wars. You know, like, uh, I mean, admittedly, we, like you said, we're working towards some top lists. One of them is going to be eighty. So I do need to justify going back and watching uh, episode five and six. But in order to get there, I got to hit episode four first, and this seemed like the perfect time to do that. Did you really need to rewatch these, though? I feel like you know these movies. All right. Full disclosure: I didn't rewatch it. It's Christmas. Oh. I didn't have time to go back and rewatch it. But you're right. I do know this movie. I've seen this movie like a dozen times. I know this movie. So, yeah, Star Wars. It's What do I even need to say about Star Wars that we haven't even said in like the past two hours here? Star Wars is fantastic. It's a classic. It's set up. It's such a tightly written story that somehow still manages to feel like it earns its runtime of two hours. Like it goes by in a flash. Uh, characters all amazingly written it sets up this universe in a fantastic way um yeah no it's just it's star wars like what else do i need to say everyone who is watching this show has seen star wars i think that's safe to say yeah yeah Um, it's like a six (laughs) no uh no giving ratings wise i mean i i i would straight up give it i'd say 9.5 it's right up there. Again, I'm always hesitant to give out 10s. I think, I think that's Star- what I gave it when we reviewed it as a 9.5. I could be wrong, though. Yeah, you gave it a 9 because oh, nine. you're even more wrong. But, yeah. 
But no, I, I think that Star Wars, there's a reason that it's regarded as well as it does. It spawned whatever huge amount of money it has for Disney. It's, it's... the best Star Wars movie as well, which I will fight people on. That's fair. I, I, I personally have more of the common opinion of Empire, but I'm not going to mm. argue the fact of when people say the first one, because it is just tightly written. It's its own thing, and it is a very well-written or well written well edited i think from yeah what people have discovered. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of uh scuttlebutt about how the movie was saved in editing <laughs> yeah so it's a very well done movie once it's all said and done um and it doesn't again episode four before it was episode four existed just as its own thing and i think that it fully could exist as just its yeah. own thing without any sort of franchise attached. something you'll notice from me is that i will mm. never refer to them as four five and six i never call them that that's fair. I refuse. It's just, it's easier for me than trying to come out and just say it. Because I do see on our list here, I first thing I typed in when I was looking for it was New Hope. You didn't have that. You have it just as Star Wars. That's what it's called? That's fair. I, I'm not going to argue the purists. There's there's a lot of room in this And I'm not even area. like a hardcore Star Wars guy. It just, in principle, I'm like, F you. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not yeah. changing the title. I'm not accepting the change in title. Here's the thing. The very first thing, the very first version of this I ever watched was the special edition. So like mm. I had to relearn a bunch of what it was before that. Um, so I mean, me too, to yeah. be fair. I, I've never seen the theatrical cut. Yeah, no, I don't think I've seen theatrical cut, but I have seen like the compromise versions, the versions where it's like, okay, we're taking out some of the extreme things but, that have gone in. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I... I mean, I reviewed this relatively recently, actually. It's not been that long mm -hmm. since we did Star Wars, so... Um, right. We don't have a reason to get to the rest of the stuff, because we, we, me and Tara did the original trilogy, and that was mm -hmm. one of the last things we did with Jedi before she wrapped up. It does make sense that we'll get to the rest of them. I don't know when we're going to do that. I think as soon as they announce there's a Star Wars movie with a date, we'll probably start working through yeah. the rest of them, so we're caught up for the new one, but... God, that's going to be sooner than we think. Yeah, they keep cancelling projects, though, so I, I don't know if it's going to be mm -hmm. that soon. Yeah. The first, I mean, I do want to make clear. Theatrical date. If there's some Disney Plus movie coming out, I don't care. Theatrical date. <sighs> it's what? Okay. If it's a standalone movie, I think I'm fine with it. But if it's the movie that caps off the Disney Plus shows that they've been talking about, I'm not counting that. We're not doing that. I'm not right. watching the shows no, totally. for it. Like, I want... I want a new like you talk about high republic era you talk about pre-jedi era fine that counts but if there is an episode what are you on now 10 10 yeah if there's an episode 10 that will count as well of course yeah 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 i, I just they've been talking about wrapping up some of the shows with movies like i'm not gonna we're not gonna do those because we'd have to watch the shows to even make sense of them so there's oh, no yeah. point no. Uh, i'm not gonna watch book of boba fett what the <laughs> hell is wrong with you <laughs> So, anyway, there you go. All right. You know, I would have accepted if you just said, oh, it's Christmas, I didn't have time for homework this week. But instead, you started nope. trying to cheat the system, be like, I'll bring up a movie I've I'm already seen. Boy. Look, there's going to be a lot of cheating the system during times of crisis here. <laughs> but I... <laughs> what is the release day of a new Zack Snyder movie if not a time of crisis? Exactly. <laughs> On Christmas, of all things... Zack Snyder is the Grinch, and you can't convince me otherwise. Uh, one big giant lump of coal. That's what that movie was. Yep. All right. That's the show, everyone. Hopefully you had some fun with us making fun of the movie mm -hmm. <laughs> and 
deconstructing it. Um, and if you do like the movie, I, I, like as much as I do come across very strongly when I'm talking about Zack Snyder movies because I really do hate them. Like mm. I'm not judging you for liking them. I'm really not. No. I, I mean, if if you're you know you're one of these people on on Twitter who's like harassing people for not liking Zack Snyder, then yeah, I'll judge you for that. But oh, like yeah. if you like, I like a lot of dumb movies. I do. I think what mm. really irks me is when people like something that's dumb, but they like to think that it's not dumb, and I'm like. Uh, you know, you don't hear me saying Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight, Jason Takes Manhattan is like Kino. You know, I mean, joke that it's Kino, but it's you know, I'm not saying oh the the character arc, what it's saying about urban development and in the 1980s <laughs> of America where things yeah. were getting so bad with toxic waste. The tox the barrels of toxic waste represent the corruption in the the Wall Street. It represents the Reagan era, obviously. <laughs> Like you know, he, it's okay. You just like something that's kind of surface level, if that's what yeah. you like about it. People, but. people are allowed to like what they want, and people are allowed to disagree without having a personal yes. vendetta against each other. Those yes. are two things that are. All right, that's the show. That's the Atomic Serum yeah. Experiment. Thank you very much for joining us. Hopefully, you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time. Keep watching the science fiction and computer. Add salsa.